what you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, July 1st, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. They got some big savings that are coming to an end soon. Those legacy MyPillow prices after being canceled by Walmart, now $19.88. You've got the last chance to get the Father's Day deal on the My Slippers as low as $49.98. And uh, you've got BOGOs still in effect for uh, sheets, towels, and uh, some of the pillow-related products. When you enter promo code STAKE at checkout at MyPillow.com, you get big, big savings. Listen, it's about to be 4th of July. As we celebrate the birthday of our country, I can't think of anything more American than the America-owned and operated apparatus that is MyPillow. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website where you can talk to a qualified pillow representative via the telephone, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, celebrating the first of the month, Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada. He's got a five-star rating as well. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs to blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram as well. And last but certainly not least, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. The top tier of tactical flair. We found at Dumpbox. Still don't know? Why don't you give Mark Joe Friday a ring? He's on Facebook Messenger. He's at Dumpbox.us. Or on Instagram as well. 
Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find the link tree that'll take you to our social media's website, our newest Substack, which is dropping tomorrow, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, and to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified account on True Social. Welcome. Friday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 148. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hey, guys. Mike Crispy's going to be in to do a little guest hosting to do a portion of the news, and we've got a couple great guests lined up, so let's jump right to it. All right, joining us next on the show today for the first time guest, he's a best-selling author who's endorsed by President Trump. He's also the president of One Flag USA. He's been a presidential appointee, and uh, we've been looking really forward to talk to him. President Trump's favorite author, Nick Adams, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Ron, it's a real pleasure. Delighted to be here. I'm a big fan of the show, big fan of you guys, massive patriots. You're exactly the kind of people I like to hang around. Nice. Yeah, we appreciate the fact that uh, you took some time out of your busy schedule to uh, come down with us, especially uh, on, on Fourth of July weekend. How's everything going with you, sir? I'm pretty good. No complaints. Living in the best country in the history of the world. Wake up every single day. Kiss the ground that I'm on. I hate all these people that don't understand what's so great about this place. Saw a poll this morning that only 39% of Americans these days are proud. I don't know what they're doing here. They may as well go somewhere else where they might be better suited and they belong. Uh, but other than that, other than having to live with a bunch of ungrateful people, sadly, that are misguided and uninformed, uh, I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I love the American dream. I love the American idea. Uh, I love shows and, and movements like yours. Uh, where people are, people get it. People realize what what we have, what we could possibly lose. And the best thing I love about it is that we've all got the courage to fight. People often say to me, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? And I always say, look, you know, in many ways, it's two sides of the same coin. If you're pessimistic, you usually wind up saying, look, things are so bad that I don't want to do anything. And if you're optimistic, you think, well, things are so good, I don't need to do anything. I like to say my answer is I need to fight. I want to fight. And that's how I feel about the country. That's how I feel about uh, American life and the American dream. And, and that's, uh, that's why I'm here. Yeah, it's good to hear. And, uh, you know, you bring up a lot of valid points. It's uh, concerning some of the poll numbers we've seen lately, whether it's the people who wake up and pray every day, the ones that have faith in their government, the, you know, congressional and, and presidential approval ratings, etc. We've definitely seen the country take a turn for the worst over the course of the last 17 months with the uh, implementation of the Biden administration and uh, a lot of the America last policies that we didn't experience under four years of, of President Trump. Uh, we, we are in the midst of the midterm election cycle right now, and I think it's a crucial point for this country to really kind of be able to slow down the Biden agenda with winning back the House and Senate and in addition set things up for a, uh, you know, big general election campaign for the presidency in 2024. When you look at some of the um, – there's like a new wave, this national populist movement, the America First movement, the MAGA base uh, of some of these candidates getting involved in these races and having a lot of success – does it reassure you that the things that this country was founded on, there still might be a chance to salvage a better portion of it uh, with the way that the country is kind of responding to the America First movement? Definitely, Brian, without a doubt. Look, I think uh, 
It's very clear that there are tens of millions, more than 100 million people, I, I believe, in the United States of America that do believe in traditional American values, that do believe in putting America first, that hate the fact that America is getting put last under this new president and this uh, administration over the last 17 months. And it is heartening to see so many people that have stepped up and are advocating America first policies, realising how much America and Americans stand to benefit from those policies and how hurtful any other approach is. And I'm really delighted to see that the America first agenda has got so many supporters and it's not just a silent majority anymore. I think that we're, we're a loud majority and we're going to see that in 2022 now here with the elections. And it's always going to be remarkably clear when the enemy, the left, the people that want to tear down this place, when they engage in acts that are so profoundly un-American and anti-American. I could not believe the news today that Joe Biden is going to give Megan Rapinoe the Presidential Medal of Freedom three days before July the 4th, three days before our most patriotic day and moment that we celebrate each year. He's giving, behind Colin Kaepernick, perhaps the most staunch, steadfast, awful, horrible, ugly proponent of anti-Americanism, someone that on the world stage has taken a knee that, that basically urinates and defecates all across the American flag any opportunity that she possibly can in the most public manner, and she's getting rewarded with the highest award from the President of the United States in the White House she shouldn't be getting an invitation to the White House. She should be given an invitation to go first class to, to go to some other third world communist country where she would much prefer. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a it makes a whole lot. Of, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in, in just such a short amount of time, Nick. We've gone from someone like Rush Limbaugh getting getting the same honor from from President Trump to this absolute national embarrassment uh, that is Rapinoe. You know her. From kneeling and turning her back on the national anthem and the American flag to some of the anti-American uh, rhetoric she's done throughout the world. And, and, you know, in the last showing of the Olympics, the absolute embarrassment she was as the captain of the uh, women's Olympic soccer team. It's just, it, 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 you know what, it's almost perfect for this representation of of. You know, the current administration that's occupying the White House right now to give out such a distinguished honor as someone who they think represents what true American values are. Without a doubt. I mean, it just tells you where their heart is at, Roan. It tells you where their mind is at. It tells you so much about them, everything you need to know to be going and celebrating this witch, this, this awful, nasty human being. Uh, who has zero gratitude for the country. I mean, if, if she wasn't living in America, she'd probably be stacking shelves somewhere else. Uh, she certainly wouldn't be a celebrated sports player playing in the highest levels of that game. She's the, been the beneficiary of training and mentorship and, and resources and fields and coaches and equipment and all of that kind of stuff that she couldn't get in another place and yet, rather than be grateful for those things, rather than want to give back, rather than want to 
celebrate those things. She's chosen at every single step of the way to just attack the country that, that made her. And so for the highest levels of the US government to be recognising that and giving that more prominence, well, you've got to ask yourself, what do they think about America? What do they like about America? Are they the fans of the United States that we are? And if they're not, then what are they doing representing us? What are they doing occupying the highest positions in the land? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you make a whole lot of sense. It's it's one of those things. You'll see a lot of those elected officials at the highest levels, the ones we really know that, that truly hate the American values, the Joe Bidens, the Nancy Pelosi's, Chuck Schumer's, et cetera. They'll all scatter for the weekend and tell everybody to enjoy the nice portion of it without really talking in depth about anything uh you know, regards to, to the nation's, uh, you know, most important holiday. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, we, we saw Joe Biden not observe D-Day for, for his first two years in office, which is, you know, one of the most crucial uh, days in the history of the world. Uh, we wouldn't think he'd do something similar to that, other, you know, coming up on the 4th of July here. And it's just really sad to, uh, you know, see that's the way that the administration continues to conduct themselves. Nick, you know, uh, we don't talk about American greatness enough. We, we do need to get back to talking about American greatness. Now, your foundation, where you're the president and the CEO, the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness, uh, we want to let our listenership know what that's all about and, and kind of see how we can get, you know, a lot of our listenership involved in some of the great things that you're doing. Look, I appreciate that. The very first day that I immigrated to the U.S., I set up this organization called FLAG. It was a little organization back then, not so little today. And FLAG was all about making sure that everyday, average, uh, ordinary Americans had a voice and they had a voice against the madness and the wokeness and the political correctness and all of those ills that made whole generations of Americans either not proud to be American, but even worse, not even understand what it means to be an American, and I recognised as someone from the outside, as someone that had chosen to come and live in the United States, I recognised that these people uh, th- that we had not passed on what it meant to be an American to these people. We had not taught, we had not done a good enough job of teaching Americanism, and so I set up Flag, and our first phase was reaching K to twelve students getting them to understand what makes this country great, getting them to understand that if we follow the foundational principles, the visions of our founding fathers, then their dreams, their own personal dreams, whatever they are, whether it's start a business, go on to be a doctor, go to be a plumber, whatever it is, that those dreams are more likely to come to fruition if America is following those founding documents and those principles. But if we're not, if we're abandoning those, then their dreams are less likely to come true. So we created the world's first kid-friendly constitution. We followed it up by doing a student's version of the Declaration of Independence, followed by the Federalist Papers, our most recent, and then something on the Electoral College, our most recent resource has been socialism or freedom versus socialism, a high schooler's guide. Uh, We've now got more than a million students all across the country with at least one of our resources, and we're just getting started. But we offered the founding documents in plain, simple, easy to understand English 
that even a fifth grader can comprehend because we wanted our kids to be tethered to those values in those founding documents. We wanted them to know what makes it great. So I wanted kids to know, and this is something that, that when flag goes into a classroom or a gymnasium to address a school assembly, we're going in there and we're explaining the day that American exceptionalism began, the very precise moment that it was born was with the United States Constitution. Why? Is it because the US Constitution or the United States is the only constitution in the world that no other country has a constitution? No, there are other countries that have a constitution, but every single time every other any other country has ever passed a constitution or drafted a constitution, it has always laid out the powers of the government and the limits of the individual. But the US Constitution, that did exactly the opposite. That's the magic of America. It laid out the powers of the individual and the limits of the government. And right there is when American exceptionalism, American greatness was born. So you can go on our website, it's flagusa.org flagusa.org. Uh, you can follow us on all the social media platforms to see more of what we do. But that in a nutshell is what flag is all about. Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Teaching Americans what it means to be an American and making them realize that what we have is the exception to the rule. And there is no guarantee that America will continue on in her present and current form because we are the exception to the rule and we stand to lose a lot if we go down the path that every other country has. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, I was looking over the stuff last night. I, my or, kid, or the path that we're on right now. Well, yeah, which, which is in lockstep with uh, just exactly what Nick was teasing. Uh, you know, my, my kids are just a little bit under, you know, some of the fifth grade material, but I think I'm going to order some of the stuff today and uh, sit down and kind of go over it with them because, you know, my kids are very, we watch a lot of news in my house. We listen to a lot of news when we, we travel in the cars and stuff. They're pretty dialed in. You know, both of my kids can sit through an entire Trump rally and they enjoy it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where we, we try to raise them right and we try to tell them the things that are really important and the things that should be important to them. They're, you know, our family in the country and, uh, you know, I like these. I like these resources geared at at young people, and I think it's an amazing thing that you guys are doing over there. And uh, we're, we're hoping right now that at some point in the future, you know, if, I feel like we could have a really long conversation about some of the things constitutionally that are going on in this country. We had, you know, just some rulings in the Supreme Court in the last couple of weeks that I think we're going to roll into a whole bunch more, Nick. And and we'd like to at some point in the future be able to invite you back on the show. We thanks uh, you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to. Uh, come down and sit with us today but if you want to tell us where your social medias are and then give the website again and we'll live link them all in the show description today and uh get all of our listenership directed to coming over to flag well i really appreciate that look i am at your guys disposal uh like i told president trump i serve at the pleasure of of the president i serve at the pleasure of steak for breakfast i serve at you guys so i will come anytime that you want uh people can follow me uh, it's at Nick Adams in USA for Twitter, at Nick Adams in USA for Twitter, verified, so you should find us easily. Uh, Facebook is Nick Adams in America, facebook.com slash Nick Adams in America. Also verified there. We've got a big following on Facebook, so should be able to find us without much hassle. Uh, Instagram is at Nick A1, N-I-C-K-A-O-N-E. So please follow us. Uh, we reach about 10 million Americans a month. 
We're doing great things on social media. So uh, we'd love to have you join the Growing America First Army. No, it's something that we're at a critical juncture right now where we need all hands on deck. It's one of the biggest things we, you know, promote on our show every week, whether it's like influencer guests, uh, people who are doing a lot of hard work out there on the ground like yourself, Nick, or or all the candidates that are running in these elections in addition to, you know, sitting Congress people and former Trump administration officials that frequent this show. Uh, it was great sitting down with you today. Like I said, we're, we're live linking everything. We're going to ask to have you back at some point in the future, and uh, we wish you a happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July, guys. This is my first as a U.S. citizen. I've celebrated lots as just a, a legal immigrant, but this is my first as a U.S. citizen, so it's pretty special, and I'm glad I got to kick off the festivities with you guys. I'll be back on soon. We were very uh, lucky to catch you then. Uh, this is the best-selling author endorsed by President Trump, the president of Flag USA, and uh, President Trump's favorite author, Nick Adams. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, somebody buy this guy a beer. <laughs> All right, coming in with us to do the news today, one of our great friends of the show, frequent guest on Steak for Breakfast, who just ran an extremely successful uh, house race in New Jersey's 4th Congressional District. He's joining us again on the show, Mr. Mike Crispy. Thanks for coming back with us on Steak for Breakfast. I missed you guys. It's good to be back. It's good to be back in news mode. Uh, we had a great campaign. We did a lot of great things. We got over 20,000 votes. We almost took it. If we had a little more time... We would have won. I don't say we lose. I say we just ran out of time. So the, my opponent who uh, who won, he's still crying. He was crying in Politico yesterday. Saw that. And so uh, I, I think that's a sign of things to come. So we're not done. We're just getting started. What's he crying about? That Mike Crispy ruined his day? Mike he's crying that I lied. I lied more than anybody's ever lied. That's what this guy says. Oh, oh Mike Crispy was a liar. Mike Crispy said that. I, that I wanted to impeach Trump. And I said, I can't help it that the voters out there associate you voting for January 6th as a third impeachment. Yep. And it's not my duty to clarify the two. You voted for January 6th, guy, and nobody's ever challenged you in 42 years. So people like that, they're just so elitist and so smug. It's like, how dare you challenge me? How dare you make me work for my job? How dare you make me leave my full-time home in Virginia and come up and campaign in New Jersey and meet with these common folk. They truly have contempt for their voters. It sounds like he fact-checked you. Well, no, I, th I did not vote for impeachment. You know what else he didn't vote for? That time. Mike oh. ran such a great campaign that Chris Smith did not vote for the gun control <laughs> legislation last week. Something that we all know he would have voted on oh, yeah. if you had not given him such a hard primary challenge. And just looking at the numbers, Mike, he garnered nearly a 90% uh, win in the primary in the previous race and then lost 40% of that voter base to you uh, in this one. It's, it, it's a really good tell. I think this, in my honest opinion, this is probably the last term that Chris Smith will serve in Congress. It's based on his age, where he lives, and he knows if you have a full campaign season and not just five and a half months-ish to get everything in gear, you're going to have like a, a district-wide apparatus set up there and uh, really be able to take him to task if he yeah, decides I mean, to this do it guy, This guy won 70-30 on the mail-in ballots. I mean, you know that the NJGOP and uh, the RNC, uh, which signed what's called the Rule 11 letter, uh, to provide state funding to help an incumbent. Uh, that's a, a nice little nuance for you guys uh, there in the audience out there. Uh, actually, so funds that people donate to the party were going to help in Chris Smith's mail-in ballot campaign. Yep. So think about yep. that. All the people out there who support the Republican Party who hate mail-ins, 
your donations to the party were going towards helping this swamp monster get mail-in ballots uh, in February and March and getting that all ready. So that's how fucked up it really is. And uh, he, he killed it in mail-ins. And uh, if you take that away and you give us a little more time, we beat him. And yep. uh, perhaps that's what we'll have to do in the future. No, I, I think so. And, uh, you know, you ran such a great race. You had a really good team with you. Uh, you worked collaboratively with people both in your district and around the state. You guys set up nice little coalitions, which is, you know, establishing the ground game moving forward, which is something that's super important in, in, in running these grassroots campaigns like you did. And then, that, like like I said in the beginning, having a little bit more time, you know, to get outside of the district and maybe some of those national donations come in. You did have a lot of major endorsements that were nothing to sneeze at, everything from Kelly. Carrie Lake and Wendy Rogers to General Flynn and Roger Stone. Rudy Giuliani jumped in there to endorse you as well. And, I mean, those are some major party uh, endorsements. And, uh, you know, we're really proud of you. You're, you're one of our favorite guests. We love when you come on and guest host with us. But it was awesome seeing you grow throughout this process. And uh, we're really excited to see what, what you've got coming down the road for the time in between now and the next uh, possible election cycle. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, it was really good. I mean, when you do this, you throw yourself into it. It's a ton of work. Um, you kill yourself to run a campaign. It really is hard when you're doing it uh, the right way. But uh, very good experience. You met a lot of people. And we're just getting going. And I'm telling you, we would have won it. But you guys, uh, you know, did uh, one of the most important uh, Substack pieces that's ever been written. So if anybody hasn't read your Substack piece around the swamp apparatus that uh, surrounds Trump, yep. right? Yep. Some of the people that are around him, everybody needs to know that because I was a part of that and witnessing that firsthand where a guy named Brian Jack is feeding disinformation directly into President Trump's ear about this race, specifically about my race. Yep. Now, who is Brian Jack getting paid by on the FEC? Where does it show that he's getting paid? He's getting paid by McCarthy. So he worked in the Trump White House. Trump calls him and he's feeding McCar and he's feeding Trump information that says, oh, Mike Crispy's down 52 to 8. In the polls, he's down 52 to eight. So let me get this straight. So Chris Smith, the the number was on, but I was off by you know 30 points mm -hmm. in, in the polling. That doesn't make any sense. Also, the Orthodox Jewish population that voted for Chris Smith, they don't take polls. So actually, the poll should have been more in my favor. Right. But that just goes to show that uh, the people around Trump are slimy and sleazy and have an ulterior agenda. Not all of them, but some of them. So people like Brian Jack and, and people like that, I can directly tell you that they were feeding bullshit to Donald Trump. And obviously the guy's got 400-something races he's looking at and the whole country and the whole world and all that. He doesn't have time to look into the nitty-gritty. That's why he has people, right? He's a CEO. But he's got people on that payroll in Mar-a-Lago that are foul, and they need to go. And they really are a threat uh, you know, to the future. So we talk about it, guys. I think the most important thing that Trump needs to do is get his, his band back together. Yep. The people that built him up in 2016, the advisors who were in it for the country, because these pencil neck swamp monster rhino uh, neocons uh, are not the answer. And unfortunately, some of them have permeated in. They lied about my campaign because they did not want Smith ousted because McCarthy was backing them and McCarthy and Roger Stone hate each other. So instead of going with what was best for the MAGA movement, they went with what is best for the RNC. And to them, that was putting up a guy, Chris Smith, and defending him at all costs, who votes against Trump more than any other Republican in the House, with the exception of Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania, and Trump called for him to be primaried. So, you know, you guys wrote that piece. You're the only people I know 
who put that out there, um, you know, so explicitly on Substack. And people need to read that and know about it because people need to know who those names are of the people who are trying to steer Trump in the wrong direction. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, now that we're verified and getting a lot of content interaction on True Social, I'm a little nervous to share it. Obviously, I'm joking. I'm going to probably share it today because you mentioned it. But, uh, you know, I don't want to hurt some feelings. Unfortunately, our newest Substack's getting ready to drop tomorrow. I've been working on it for the last, like, 10 days. And uh, spoiler alert, people like uh, Cernovich and Jack Posobiec aren't going to be too happy with some of the commentary I'm directing in their direction. And it's actually going to get some traction now that we're on True Social. We're getting a lot of content share on there. Our downloads have gone way up since uh you know we got verified on that that system and uh for the first time in three years we're actually seeing what actual you know uh social media content interaction is like and it's pretty amazing uh but but the fact of the matter is is that you know sometimes you have to tell the truth and and, and in this new Substack, i'll preview it just briefly you know we talk about some of the things some of the hypocrisies we see like people like cernovich and jack Posobiec, they're going so hard after somebody just like dr oz who's probably the least attractive MAGA candidate out there. We've outlined on this show several times what, you know, he's reassured Donald Trump, and we've heard that directly from Trump world. And in, in, in the scheme of things, Pennsylvania, which is predominantly a red state, sometimes just votes purple. And they need somebody that resonates with those middle-class suburban moms and some of the on-the-fence independent voters that are just, like, looking for somebody that's not, like, ripping their chest open with the MAGA tattoo on it. And it's like, we call it the 50 Shades of MAGA on there. And, it, you know, to us, it seems so weird that... You'll go so hard on Dr. Oz, and then you have people like James Langford, who won his primary race by like 70%. He's one of the worst fucking senators in the history of this country. He does not like Donald Trump, and nobody says a thing about him. He's, he's probably the worst senator in the entire Senate on the Republican side, uh, besides uh, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. And, and, you know, you have people like Vernon Jones, like, okay, Donald Trump endorsed him. We all, dude, the guy voted for fucking Hillary Clinton in 2016. He was working with the DNC. Like, and you're telling me five years later he's a MAGA-endorsed candidate that was going to run for governor and then a House seat there? I'm glad Mike Collins trounced him. But we got to spread it around. We're either going to hate on everybody that's a bad pick or we're going to get behind these picks and tell everybody, listen, they're not attractive, but if they've reassured Donald Trump that, one, they're going to vote with the MAGA agenda, and, two, they're not going to vote for Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy for party leadership, boom, that's all you should need. And if they wind up fucking us over, those are receipts. But people like Vernon Jones has physical receipts. People like James Langford has physical receipts. They're crappy voting records. They're awful rhetoric on stuff that happened with, like, January 6th and the stolen election. And But they'll go after Dr. Oz because he talked about transgender kids on his TV show. Well, guess what? Dr. Oz was a paid fucking Hollywood actor. If his executive team says, hey, this is what we're going to talk about because this is, like, what's polling with suburban moms in weird areas, then he does shows on it. You know, it, yeah. it's like, give the guy a chance know he's the least attractive MAGA candidate, but there's a reason, and, and, and that's why I think McCormick didn't get the Trump endorsement. It's because McCormick was like hardcore MAGA till the end, but we're starting to realize, it's even like Doug Mastriano. Doug Mastriano's hardcore MAGA, hardcore election integrity, but he's also like got those weird dad vibes that resonates with blue-collar, middle-class moms in the suburbs. Uh, you know, he's like a warm and cuddly guy. Uh, McCormick is not. He's an in-your-face dude, and uh, it's not going to resonate in the urban areas, and we need some of those votes in Pennsylvania just because of how weirdly they voted in the last couple election cycles. And I, I think that's legitimately what made the decision that much easier for Donald Trump. You know, Plus, a lot of people forget Do Dr. Oz worked on two presidentially appointed councils in the Trump administration. He was on the COVID-19 board, and he was one of the only people who talked about the benefits of hydroxychloroquine. Nobody talks about that. There's receipts for that. And, and he was also on the health and fitness board, which he partnered with Herschel Walker. And we all just seem to like forget about this stuff because people like Jack Posobiec 
and Mike Cernovich have 5 million followers between them, and they say, like, oh, I got receipts, he's a piece of shit. So then people, without even getting any context, will go and, like, retweet this millions of times, and it snowballs into this, guess what? We're going to win Blake Masters in Arizona, Adam Lexalt in Nevada, Herschel Walker in Georgia, and still only have 52 fucking seats because these guys want to go and flip Pennsylvania for the Democrats. It makes no sense to me. Well, it's almost like they have a, a like an agenda unto their own. I mean, why are they bashing, you know, uh, Dr. Oz relentlessly? But, you know, they weren't like you said, they weren't bashing Vernon Jones. They weren't bashing Chris Smith. They weren't bashing Langford. Um, it's almost like they were doing it for a reason. I don't know. Other than what's best for the country and what's best for the movement. Like maybe they had their own stake in that, right? A little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just speculating, but uh, clearly people need to call that stuff out because they got big megaphones. And if they were doing it, like you said, if you're doing it for one, do it for all, but they, they trained all their fire on Oz. And uh, I mean, you look at the race and you're a realist, you know, you know that Dr. Oz had the best chance to win that race and Dr. Oz. Yes. He said these things, but if we were disqualifying Donald Trump on those uh, things that he said in the past, Nobody would vote for him either, right? No, and so I mean that's so so it's like it's just it's just it's like they were pushing something that had nothing to do with the candidate that was put up, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I don't know how people like that, and I'm I'm talking directly about those two major influencers again. You know, Donald Trump retweets Jack Posobiec yesterday, so then you know he's been tweeting for like the last week, like there is only one presidential campaign, this, that, and the other thing. I was like, how do you live in a universe where you could go out? and virtue signal how awesome Donald Trump is and love him the way we all love him on this show and, Mike, you know, the way you appreciate Donald Trump and, and at the same time be, like, literally just bashing, like, hardcore one of his candidates like that in a place where we need to fucking win. You know, right. Pennsylvania is such a big bellwether. Uh, if that flips to a Democrat Senate seat, it could have repercussions in the House. Uh, it could affect Doug Mastriano's senatorial or um, governor to, uh, race. And, and it's one of those things where we have to have these difficult conversations. And I'm not saying that they're wrong for what they're saying because the receipts they have are correct ones, but there's two sides to every coin, and then there's a lot of other people out there. I mean, just in your race, Mike, everything that they've knocked, uh, you know, Dr. Ozon, who hasn't had a vote in Congress yet, Chris Smith has literally voted on. He's voted on COVID relief. He's voted on gun control in the past, open borders in the past, impeachment in the past. And it's like, not only that, they always bitch and complain that Dr. Oz doesn't live in Pennsylvania. He lives in North Jersey, and he's from Delaware. Chris Smith has lived in Virginia for, what, the last 30 years at least? Well, and he's, yeah, 1983. No, but they don't, they're, not, they're not going after these things as if they were doing it on a fair basis. That's like what they I'm just saying. Trained older. They, they, they said, okay, how can I get the most clicks? How can I get the most clout, you know, for myself? And that is to go after somebody – like Dr. Oz, right? Because it's not the same type of fanfare if you're going after Vernon Jones or Chris Smith, right? So it's like, what what are you in this for? And, and unfortunately, and again, I, I, I Sobek, uh, Cernovich, all these other people, you know, s- some people are in it for the right reasons, and some people are in it for themselves, right? And you gotta you gotta uh, uh, parse that through when you look at what's going on and when you look at what people are saying. But unfortunately, a lot of people out there, they open up their Twitter timeline, they see what's going on, and they believe it, right? Yeah, boom. Uh, and unfortunately, even, I don't think, you know, on the other side, I don't think Hannity did too many favors. No, he didn't. Uh, I, I, for I, the whole thing, because I didn't like the way Hannity acted either. Yeah. When Hannity was attacking Kathy Barnett, I thought that was bad form. And I think Hannity kind of looked stupid. I think Hannity is, is, you know, he looked he looked weak, like he was just being told what to say. 
So I didn't like that from him either. It was kind of messy. Well, Hannity brings on Mitch McConnell and, I'm sorry, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham every once in a while. It's just one of those things where he's been kind of disconnected from, like, the real base, even though Donald Trump gives him the benefit of the interview every once in a while because it's a numbers game. Uh, and, and Donald Trump's not going to go on Tucker, so he's got to go on number two, ah. Sean Hannity, because he knows he'll get Tucker numbers when he's on. Uh, but it's one of those things, you know, and, and I agree. Kathy Barnett, she was a very emotional pick, but at the end of the day, she was unqualified. She would have got absolutely lapped by the DNC in the general election. That was just a hope and a prayer. And it goes back on, you know, I, I'd really like to see, and, and at the center of all this, you know, one of the biggest influencers of them all in, in, in this solar system that we're all in, you know, we're, we're like a minor appendage of the larger apparatus. We really need a bell for that, not the gong, the uh, the actual bell. But <laughs> Steve Bannon, he needs he needs to daddy these guys. You know, I know they're all running around right now and, and, and and making their big money and they've all, you know, become very famous off of what is Donald Trump. But at the end of the day, it's like, dude, remember how you got there. And yes, he'll retweet you or retreat you every once in a while. But the fact of the matter is you're not helping him out by, by doing what you're doing. If you're not going to do it unhypocritically across the board or just don't do it, but we have to have these difficult conversations. And, and, and I wish daddy Bannon would, would rein these guys in a little bit because I know he still can. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, they're all brilliant. They're all very smart. They're all deeply connected. They have, you know, their little covert agents working everywhere, getting receipts for everything. And, like, we really appreciate a lot of the investigative work that they do. They're usually ahead of the, the news curve more than anybody else in the mainstream media. Uh, but the fact of the matter, when it comes to the situation with this whole candidate thing, it's bugged me from, like, day one because I just sat back and looked at it and I was like, dude, what what is up with this? It's like no one, consistency. One Where guy, is the consistency? Yeah, yeah. and and there's so much more, you know, that we, that we need to uh, address. And and listen, when it comes to the cases of like you, of like Katie Arrington, maybe Madison Cawthorn, you guys all lost close races, right? Maybe if you would have directed a little bit of that hate and spread a little love around the country, we could have got a couple more of these actual America First candidates into the general election cycle. But that ship has sailed. Moving forward, I would not like to lose another Senate seat and have it 52 instead of 53 because then, you know, we're, we're looking at numbers in, in regards to getting Mitch McConnell out of there and, and having a Democrat in the Pennsylvania House seat isn't going to help the Republicans win, uh, you know, a different majority leader in the Senate. So I, I think you that's can't, the point. You can't, you can't have the thing where people just stay home, right? Because sure. that's how uh, Oz will lose. And listen, I'm all against these establishment uniparty wonks who aren't going to be uh, you know, anywhere as good as, you know, a Democrat, because they're all, you know, cut from the same cloth, right? Career politician. Dr. Oz really isn't a career politician, and, and he hasn't been in there. You know, Trump is giving us his word on it. So I think, listen, for Oz, I don't, I'm not crazy about Oz. I don't nope. think he's a MAGA warrior. Not at I all. I thought his speech was a little, was a little fucking cheesy and yep. lame that he gave in the thing. So it's like, okay, but into being a realist here, uh, he got it. Barnett, you know, was was a, a failed congressional candidate. Uh, so, I mean, it was the right thing to do. Yeah, but you got to be a pragmatist in this game. You know, you got to be a pragmatist. And if Dr. Oz was a, you know, career backbench uh, rhino, then I would understand the fight a little bit more. But he has no record. He's loyal to Trump. So let him go in there and do it. Yeah. And just to be clear, this is not a bend the knee, kiss the ring of Donald Trump. Every endorsement is golden. Like, we know. Just, oh, he's got shitty. Vernon Jones. Fuck Vernon Jones. Vernon Jones is an utter piece of shit. Yes. And Trump endorsed him and made that video for him. And it's cringe. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Yep. Trump endorsed McCarthy. Dude, what are you doing? I know why he did it because of, you know, McCarthy holds the keys to the January 6th up and shutting that down. And I mean, we can go on and on about some of the endorsements that are just a joke 
an absolute, an absolute joke. joke. And, and we, you know, you guys and, and myself and all that, are sounding the alarm on the people around Trump that are letting that happen and putting that out. But everybody's got to hold those people accountable. Yeah, we, we certainly do. And it's like one of those things. We're just looking for the end of the day a little bit more across the board on both ends. Either don't do it and, and you know, give your opinion and just give your opinion. Don't like endless receipts 24 hours a day or do it for everybody that sucks and then help the ones that need it. I really feel like if these guys would have directed their energy towards Mass and Cawthorn's campaign, he'd still be a house. I know people say like, well, he fucked up this. Dude, no. I mean, I mean you know, people that get hit as hard as he he was over the target for something. Either he was completely against some of the rhino shit that they were doing, or he just wouldn't fucking play game in regards to, to the voting. But I, I have a strong reason to believe that, you know, that guy should still be in a Senate seat. And I know he's still going to be working with the Trump campaign now because, you know, he was one of Donald Trump's favorites. So uh, he, he, he personally endorsed him. He made a nice video for him as well, which was a little bit more heartfelt than the creepy one, like for Vernon Jones. But, uh, you know, if, if you would have had some of those 5 million followers between those guys, even more, what, uh, 300 million followers, if you really would have got the war room behind it and just pushed everybody to vote in that district. I mean, it was record low turnout like, in Madison like, Cawthorn's wow, district. Wow, well. Madison Cawthorn's in trouble. That's our guy. He's in trouble. Maybe everybody should go tell their friends that Madison Cawthorn's in trouble losing to some rhino state senator. Yep. You know, and that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, just another vote for Kevin McCarthy because, you know, we're not at that level yet where we can direct like a national audience to go and like really get motivated at the polls. We like to get our people donating to the campaigns, boots on the ground in cities that they're in. But, you know, we hope to eventually be there. But right now we're just numbers wise. We're just not there. Um, you know, it, it's like half a million downloads versus 300 million downloads. They just don't add up on paper, but we're doing the best we can. And we're trying to get the messages out there. Um, you know, and, and it's like the news cycle kind of right now. You, you want to stay on like the same frustrated level. I mean, obviously we saw Joe Biden went out to, uh, I believe Germany for a leg of the G seven summit there. Um, embarrassingly. So like hot mic issues and, and gaffes left and right. He's calling, you know, Sweden, Switzerland and getting all argumentative with the press. We're going to listen to some of that. Um, now, as he was, uh, well, talking about sending more aid to Ukraine. Believe that. Now, we got to put it up on the whiteboard here. We're up to 14.50 border walls worth of money, not counting for inflation, already sent to Ukraine in the last 120 days. So that's where we're at right now. And uh, it seems like it's never going to end. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where he keeps rolling along and uh, all he wants to do is sign like a new check a week to send over there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he he said, "Oh, when do we need to do this by? Oh, until until we're done. Oh, when are the people going to pay the gas price to? Oh, until we're done doing this, they're 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 whipping up people. It really is a shame uh, to have this this virtuous. You know, we need to save Ukraine. It's the right thing to do, but people aren't smart enough to just you know, get their head out of their ass and look and say, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe this doesn't add up. Maybe this is a subversion." of why the country is intentionally going to shit here at home, right? Because all these problems started before this whole Ukraine thing, but coincidentally, the most corrupt country uh, on in the Eastern Hemisphere, Ukraine, is now that, that, that uh, you know, Hunter Biden and Big Daddy Joe were getting money from are all of a sudden the scapegoat of every country. It had to be Ukraine, and it has to be us sending billions of dollars. And of course, it's after gas prices and and the uh, supply chain started getting jacked up. We were told to sympathize for Ukraine. Fox News included telling us to do that. Uh, it's just it's just so wrong. And every time Joe Biden commits to sending more money to Ukraine, 
it just solidifies what we all knew at the start when Republicans, unfortunately, Republicans in the House were wearing those stupid Ukraine uh, America flag pins. I'm like, ew, get that off. But they uh, but they they're 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 blind. It's terrible. Yeah. So the blank checks keep on coming for Ukraine. And uh, Joe Biden wanted to tell everybody about it. Let's hear about all the bullshit we're sending over there right now. Earlier this year, we surged 20,000 additional U.S. forces to Europe to bolster our alliance in response to Russia's aggressive move, bringing our force total in Europe to 100,000. That's southern accent. We're going to continue to adjust our posture based on the threat in close consultation with our allies. Here in Spain, we're going to work with our ally to increase uh, U.S. Navy destroyer stationed in Spain's Roto naval base from uh, three to uh, from four to six, uh, uh, four to six destroyers. In Poland, we're going to establish a permanent headquarters, the U.S. Fifth Army Corps, and uh, strengthening our U.S. NATO interoperability across the entire eastern flank. We're going to maintain additional rotational brigade, uh, which is 3,000 fighters and another. 2,000 personnel, Billions. combat team here in Europe, headquartered in Romania. And we're going to enhance our rotational deployments in, uh, <laughs> develop, deployments in uh, in the Baltic states. And uh, we're going to send two additional F-35 squadrons uh, to the UK and station additional air defense and other capabilities in Germany and in Italy. And together, our allies, we're going to make up sure that NATO is ready to meet the threats from all directions across every domain, land, air, and the sea. Mm-hmm. In the moment when Putin has shattered peace in Europe uh, and attacked the very, very tenets of rule-based order, the United States and our allies, we're going to step up. We're stepping up. We're pr- proving that NATO is more needed now than it ever has been, and it's as important as it ever has been. So I want to thank you, Jens, for leading the alliance through this crisis and uh, for your work to strengthen NATO for all the challenges lie ahead. And I, I genuinely look forward to our discussion today. And again, thank you for your leadership. Mm-hmm. Rule-based order? That's odd coming from that side. Yeah, a lot of, lot of, lot of defense money heading over to uh, Ukraine. You know, Mike, it's pretty funny. They kept saying the narrative about how bad Russia was getting their asses kicked until they, like, logistically couldn't prove anymore that they were. And now we come to find out in the last couple days that Russia's holding over 6,000 prisoners of war in addition to, and you know, gobbling up almost the entire eastern portion of that country. Uh, and, And it's one of those things where if we don't get... Our actual diplomats, the ones over there virtue signaling, I'm sorry, I said Germany before, they were in Madrid, Spain uh, this week to, uh, you know, get these two guys to the table and say, like, listen, part of Ukraine is going to be Russia. You're going to have some losses. Obviously, the, uh, you know, Europe and NATO and the United States is going to pay for your entire country, Ukraine. Uh, let's shake on it and let bygones be bygones. But it's one of those things right now where we're at a juncture where it just seems like the only reason that we're you know, carrying out this war is to just say that there's a war there. That's exactly right. It's to say that there's a war. It's to say, it's so funny, all of the money that we're sending, right? I would rather all of that money be put into lowering the gas prices by two cents for every American than I would giving one penny to this foreign, corrupt, globalist slush fund. Because that's exactly what it is. It's a globalist slush fund, and they're simultaneously enriching themselves with the military-industrial complex. Everything that they missed out on for the last couple of years 
you know, when Trump was president, wasn't playing that game. So they're, they're, they're reaping the benefits of that again while they simultaneously use it as a, a, a cloud cover for the fact that our country is getting destroyed domestically because our, we've cut off our energy supply, our supply chain is messed up, which I think is, is intentional. And so they get the best of both worlds. They get to enrich themselves. They get to make everybody feel bad about it because the virtue signaling works uh, like clockwork with all these sheep motors. And then they get to they get to kind of usher in, as, as Biden's guy said on TV yesterday, the liberal world order. Is that what it is, guys? Oh, yeah. The liberal world order. So there's a slip. There it is. This is the liberal world order. Uh, not a lot of money in your pocket. Uh, you care a lot about the environment. You're very happy that you're saving the environment. You're very happy that you're giving away all your money to foreign countries as you live in worse conditions than you ever have before. And your child's outlook is bleaker than it ever will be. That's the liberal world order. Boom. There it is. How can you not love it? Yeah. Oh, you're 100% right. And, and they're uh, just siphoning money too. Cause it's like, you know, if the government charges, like for instance, the, you know, the, the joke about the $70 hammer, like, okay, so we're sending money to Ukraine. Who's then buying military equipment from us. So is it a $170 hammer that right. we're selling it to them for? Basically, yeah, yeah. It's like the gas station. Remember that gas station that costs like millions and millions of dollars in Afghanistan to yep. build? It's like a twenty million dollar gas station or something like that. It's like so. You're it, it is money laundering. Yep. Foreign aid is money laundering. Period. No, it is, and uh, you know the money that Ukraine's requesting from the international community it makes up nearly like eighty percent of their uh, of their budget to, to run their government. And, that yeah, and they want it every month. What is this child support? 7 billion, <laughs> 7 billion a month. Baby Zelensky. So that, that, well, he's a lot of things, but he might be a baby too. Don't worry though. Rest assured. Joe uh, Biden was going to go ahead and place blame where blame is due. Daddy Zelensky. The reason why gas prices are up is because of Russia, oh. Russia, oh. Russia, Russia. Oh. The reason oh. why the food crisis exists is because of Russia. Oh. Oh. Antoinette, oh, he's, he's trying to steal uh, the Russia, Russia, Russia. Yeah, there you go. Answer that. What do you feel about uh, Vladimir Putin being blamed for everything that's wrong in the world right now? I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's fucking hilarious. And I think he's laughing his ass off the entire time, too. Yeah, when he could remember what he says. <laughs> well, Putin was talking about. No, Putin, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's definitely laughing. You know, someone tried to fact check me because the ruble is at like a 50-year high right now. Ruble, ruble would be like Indonesia. Ruble is Russia. Regardless of what <laughs> it is. A rupee, I think, would be Indonesia. Russian currency yes. in general. It, it's, it's at a 50-year high right now, and, and they're, they're one of the few places in the world, well, obviously than their regular citizens, but government-wise, that, that aren't experiencing uh, record inflation rates across everywhere. And uh, it's because... They no longer have to adhere to all the bullshit that happens in the SWIFT system, and they're because they're basically uh, power brokering all their energy, whether it be coal or natural gas or, or gasoline. Wait, these sanctions aren't working? The hardest sanctions and the sanctions of the world, and it's like literally shirtless Putin with the... Uh, Riding the bear? With the glasses on, the sunglasses. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's it's we're in one uh, of those situations right now. Go ahead, Antoinette. Uh, BRICS, um, Brazil, Russia, India, China... Yep. South Africa, I think Iran now. Yep. They're all pointing in the BRICS club. 
Yeah, and it looks like uh, they're going to be a pretty strong alliance too because of all, all of the amount, massive amounts of energy and natural resources in those countries. Yep. Um, you know, Mike teased it, and we're going to listen to it now. Uh, the White House uh, economic advisor, Brian Deese, jumped on CNN uh, yesterday to talk about some of the things that were going out at the NATO summit, and some of his rhetoric will be surprising. Analyst, the director of national intelligence, uh, they say that this could be a long e- a war measured in years, and I think everybody understands why this is happening, but is it sustainable? What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay 485 a gallon for months, if not years, this is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand uh, firm. Uh, what? But at the same time, what I'd say to that family and to Americans across the country is you. you have a president administration that is going to do everything oh, in its power to blunt the, those price increases and bring those prices down. Uh, good news over the last two weeks, we've seen the price of gas at the pump come down about 20 cents, no, but still unacceptably hasn't. high. That's Higher. why the president, before he was at NATO in the G7 earlier this week, was working to bring the G7 allies together around exploring something around a price cap to cap the price uh, that uh, can be paid for Russian oil, mm. which will actually target the pain more directly on Vladimir Putin about a price cap uh, and on not on the rest of the world. It's why you have the president calling for, here at home, a temporary gas tax holiday, not only at the federal level, but for states to follow the lead More and free take money. equivalent actions as well. And it's why we are engaged with the industry, encouraging them to increase supply, increase supply of oil right now, and also increase that refinery capacity that we know those companies took offline during the pandemic. Nope. We need to get more of that no. online so Macron that we get more said it's gas not into the system. All of these steps, uh, none of them is a silver bullet alone, but you've got an administration that's working on every angle we can to try to keep this price reduction that we're seeing going. For all that the White House is doing, the president is doing to bring down prices, you know the numbers are from the latest poll. This is from the AP NORC poll that shows that 85% of U.S. adults say the country is going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter what they say. We, we fact-checked like five out of six of those things he said. And yeah, the, the, oh, the gas is down 20 cents. It's like, what, you, did you go to the the gas station that's on the other side of town instead of the one by the airport like well how are you how are you validating this or how about asshole 20 cents off of seven dollars a gallon ain't a fucking bargain no so gas tax holiday baby we're all gonna save an average of uh if we fill up our tanks an average of uh 16 with this gas tax holiday for three months that's incredible so the people get 16 dollars worth of savings for three months and then ukraine and these third world countries you've never heard about continue to get millions of dollars it's wonderful it's billions of dollars it's like the- it's gonna be trillion at this point yeah. i mean uk just uh not even pledged but they're sending another one billion dollars yep. to ukraine man I'm, it's I'm, like- I'm excited i get that that's like six and a half packs of cigarettes man they're really me. happy about those 16s like 16 cent savings on the fourth of july barbecue 16 cent or 16 dollars savings on the gas tax holiday how about if california California just drops their 50-something cents that now went up to 50, what, 3 cents, 54 cents? Yep. Kevin Kiley teased that last week when he was on. We, and it's I don't understand why why politicians can't run. And like I would say that sometimes when I was campaigning. Like, why can't politicians just say, listen, we need to end foreign aid? But we have conditioned right. our own taxpayers, Republicans too, to be like, oh, no, you know, we got to take care of these other countries and – how could you say that we got to help Ukraine? These are like the, the Republican voters out there, right? Yeah. Some of them that you'd meet. 
And I'm like, oh, my God, you have been brainwashed, conditioned, contorted, and you've been led to believe that giving away the money that you pay in taxes, right? That's that's 20, 30, 40 cents on the dollar that you make, that you give to this black hole and have nothing to show for it. And actually, the righteous thing to do is to have it go to Ukraine, where Hunter Biden is having problems, and then blame Putin, who the Democrats have been using as their scapegoat for their problems since Hillary Clinton started talking about that and did the little red button pressing thing, right? So it's like, this has been a tale as old as time. And it almost demoralizes me how much the rank and file voters are like, okay with this. Oh yeah, we should send the money to other countries. They're in need, they're in need. But then in our own country, we look at the guy, the homeless vet on the street and we go, oh, he should get a job. He should figure it out for himself. But in the other countries, we should give it to them all and do it all for them. Get the fuck out of here. It's it's like, who's going to take care of us when there's nothing left of this fucking country? It's it's ridiculous. Like what? Who? China? Russia? (laughs) Like all the countries, all the countries we give aid to are going to have a GoFundMe for the United States (laughs) and all pool in money together to give to us in our time of need. Yeah. Okay. Like, come on. The, the the 21 year average for the Afghan war over the course of uh, its entirety was $53 million. And we've already eclipsed that in aid to Ukraine after taking a full year off. Get, granted, it was the pandemic, but you have an entire generation of Congress people who are conditioned to make sure that this money, which a lot of it recycles back into their pockets via lobby groups, via think tanks, via golden parachutes for them, uh, you know, they must have like all been shitting their pants during the pandemic on that one year when we didn't pay anything to the Afghan war. And it was just like, Whoa, what's going on here? Like we're, I can't have two chauffeurs. I can't have the Nancy Pelosi ice cream. I can't let, I have to live like a regular person off of my, you know, $250,000 a year uh, salary. It's, 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 I can only go to Epstein's Island once. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I knew that there was going to be some kind of a replacement for that huge annual budget for the Afghan war. And man, did they ever figure it out so Mm. nicely? It's so funny to watch those scenes. I saw even CNN reported on it. Is the war in in uh, Ukraine really as bad as everybody speculates? And they did like roving report from downtown. Everybody's eating croissants and On going the to beach. Shots. Yeah, going yeah, to the beach. And, worst and, war ever. Worst <laughs> war zone in the history of war zones. And we've got yeah, frigging yeah. people flying kites at the beach and uh, water skiing and stuff like oh that. Oh my well, god, a, a, the carnage! Of those, a couple of those kites did get shot down. Yeah, it was funny last week when they showed the Russian rockets that hit the mall. They said like thousands of people in there. They dropped that story immediately. They never showed bodies, and it was like it looked like a flea market in an empty park. Parking lot, and they're like, "Oh yeah!" Oh, they, they hit the swap meet. Yeah, but there was nobody there, <laughs> and it was just like they just keep making stuff up. I'm waiting for the next redditors. I know a lot of you guys listen to the show. We love you guys out here on Steak for Breakfast. But please get some more video game footage into the news oh, cycle. Those yeah. are those are my favorites when you get like uh, Adam Kinzinger to to uh, share those on his social media. Yeah, what about like that thing? It was like the salute, and it was like that perfectly framed picture of like the ships and the little kids with their stuffed animals. It's like, yes, a photographer got this perfect, exact, not propaganda at all moment, framed perfectly, captured for you in the war zone, 100%. Love it. Well, Joe Biden would touch on some other issues more, more, more recently and um, familiar to our listenership with some of the rulings that came down from the Supreme Court over the last two weeks. Uh, he, he did talk to the international press about the uh, 
the the issues that he feels like he's having with the Supreme Court now, because remember, when they don't rule in their favor, they need to be disbanded, expanded, or, uh, you know, all impeached. But when they rule in favor of the Democrats, it's the greatest bench in the history of Supreme Courts. Let's hear him uh, talk on it. The most important thing to be clear about is we have to change, I believe, we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law. Oh. And the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. It should be we provide an exception for this, for the except the require an exception to the filibuster for this action to deal with the Supreme Court decision. Mm-hmm. Mm. So codifying, eliminating the filibuster, and they're talking about, like I said, everything from expanding to uh, uh, ending the Supreme Court and you know, calling them illegitimate and stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to stay in the same thread for a second. So after that, you know, statement that he gave, uh, he would kind of be taken to task by some of the international press. And uh, I don't even want to tease it by talking about some of her monologue, but she she did make fun of him in in the way we kind of do on this show. Let's hear this one. America is back was your motto (laughs) at the first NATO summit last year. And you've come to this summit here and the one in Germany after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned constitutional protections for abortion, no, they didn't. No, after the shootings in Buffalo and Texas, at a time of record inflation, and as new polling this week shows that 85% of the U.S. public thinks the country is going in the wrong direction. Oof. How do you 85? explain this to those people who feel the country is going in the wrong direction, including some of the leaders you've been meeting with this week, who think that when you put all of this together, it amounts to an America that is going backward. They do not think that. Oh. I haven't found one person, one world leader to say America is going backwards. America is better positioned to your face to lead the world than we ever have been. No. We have the strongest economy in the world. No. Our inflation rates are lower than other nations in the world. Also false. The one wow. thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United oh, States oh, 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 of overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. We've been a leader in the world in terms of personal rights and privacy rights. And it is a mistake, in my view, for the Supreme Court to do what it did. But I have not seen anyone come up to me do anything other than, nor have you heard them say anything other than, thank you for America's leadership. You've that's, changed the dynamic of NATO and the G7. Near you. So I, uh, I can understand why the American people are frustrated. Why? Because of what the Supreme Court did. I can understand no. why the American people are frustrated because of inflation. But inflation is higher in almost every other country. Prices of the pump are no. higher in almost every other country. Mm. We're better positioned to deal with this than anyone. But we have a way to go. And the Supreme Court, we have to change that decision by codifying Roe v. Wade. There were some comments. So, all right, one possible truth and then a shit slew of lies. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know what to make of it. You know, gas prices in places like uh, m- the most industrialized and first world nations in Europe probably do rival some of the highest prices in in the United States right now or a little bit more. But it's been like that for a decade. Uh, that doesn't really factor into what's going on right now. Um, in addition to that... Nothing else he said there was true. Yeah. Uh, probably the only thing that, that even made like a half a sense is that none of those world leaders would say those exact words probably to his face. But uh, y- you know they all have to be feeling it. Um, Mike, what do you think when you hear him kind of rattle off that fucking discombobulated yeah, yeah. Uh, garbage? 
It, it's great. It's like if, if you uh, were living in a neighborhood and someone was staking out your house because they were going to rob it. And then every day they were like looking across the street and they saw and you were leaving your door open. Would the robber tell you that the door was open? No, they would go in when they saw the best opportunity and they would go ransack your house. And that's what these other countries are doing right now. They're sitting back and watching. They're watching the United States implode. They're watching the United States weak, get weaker. They're watching them shed their money to these globalist slush funds. And they're sitting back and they're loving it. And the people in the country that are supposed to protect us, they're paid off by these actors that are facilitating the rob. So, of course, they're sitting there nuts. Yeah, Joe, you're doing amazing. Oh, my God, you're the best president ever. You have restored civility back to the country. Uh, yeah, they love it because now they don't have to get put on the spot. You saw how uncomfortable they were when they would go to these G7 meetings and Trump would be, you know, saying these crazy things to Merkel and Macron and he'd be doing the crazy handshake thing and he'd be telling them to pay more of their money for the fair share. They don't have to deal with any of that. No thinking. Purely get up there, photo op, formality, kumbaya, we're all going to work together. And then they go behind closed doors and fuck every American and shed our money and our influence and sprinkle it around the rest of the world. That's the plan. So they love Joe Biden. Oh my God, Joe, you're the best. So, I mean, it's obvious that that's what's going on. And it's obvious that Joe Biden, the only time he can give substance, like he's totally uh, absent of substance, but the only time he does give substance, if you notice, he really has his lines memorized when it comes to the Supreme Court, right? Roe versus Wade and, you know, breaking that up and turning it uh, you know, into how the socialist countries do the Supreme Court, where they totally pack the courts, put the socialist people on. I think who did that? Uh, Chavez or something yep. like that. So he has that line down pat. And then he also has down pat of what we're going to do for Ukraine. He sound very, sounded very impressive when he was rattling off where all the money's going for Ukraine. Wow. Incredible. If only he had that kind of substance and detail for how he's going to fix gas prices and supply chain problems for people in America as he did for where the money is going for Ukraine. So, of course, they're all clapping their hands. Joe, you're doing an amazing job for us. No, you, you, you make a whole lot of sense, Mike, and it's one of those things where we're just going to have to keep seeing, you know, rolling with these punches right now. We saw some vicious blows to the administrative state so far in some of these rulings. Uh, the, the huge entanglement that is Planned Parenthood is definitely on the defensive right now. And with the deregulations or the limits on the Green New Deal bullshit that they put out in regards to like the EPA, you're talking about you are you are greatly and drastically minimizing hundreds of thousands of government workers who do nothing but slow America first agenda all over this country down, uh, you know, completely being negated from the conversation now. So it looks like a lot of the things that Donald Trump pushed for during his presidency that he wasn't able to get over the finish line or not to the fullest extent that he wanted to are now coming to fruition via the Supreme court because a lot of the stuff he went off of was in the best interest of the country and, at the end of the day, constitutional. Things like constitutional carry, uh, the inability to change voter election laws right now, uh, you know, that they're doing. Like the stuff that happened in Pennsylvania, they ruled on that this week. We did see the Supreme Court backed off of, like, the Remain in Mexico policy, but we've let our listenership know. And, you know, we had Jorge Ventura on earlier in the show today, and he's confirmed it, that, uh, you know, the Remain in Mexico policy, for the most part, has been gone on the southern border since, like, the beginning of spring. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security wrote administrative policies that basically circumvented it. So even though the judge injunctioned it and they could say that it was still in place, like, uh, metaphorically, 
literally it was not happening anymore. So I think the Supreme Court knew if, if the Biden administration was going to try to rehold that up in court, it was going to be like, you know, something that really wasn't important. But besides that, we've seen some major rulings that are going to, you know, open up a lot of new doors and opportunities to the people once they get into the uh, House and Senate following the midterm elections in, a, in an attempt to push back on the Biden agenda. So, you know, Mike, it's been a while since you've been on in this context. It's been a blast having you join us again. And uh, we have to start doing it again more frequently. We know you're getting ready to get rolling again with, uh, you know, your show. It's going to be rebranded. Uh, you're going to have a little bit of a different focus and, and dynamic to it, but you're still going to be bringing all the great stuff you bring to the table. And like I said, uh, we got to get you in here at least once a month to do the news with us because we really love having you on the show. Why don't you tell all of our listenership where they can currently find you on uh, social medias? All right, so uh, you guys can go to Instagram, Instagram, Mike Crispy NJ, Twitter, Mike Crispy NJ, uh, Getter, Mike Crispy uh, Truth. I'm still on there as Red White Truth. Um, and on Facebook, Mike Crispy. I'm all over the place. Feels good to be back. Feels good to do the news. Remember when I came on the show and I'm like, guys, come on. I want to talk about the news, not like the nitty gritty of all this campaign shit, right? And here so it's great to be back into it. Uh, we're living through uh, the whether they're the, the clown world ages or the dark ages, wherever you look at them. It's incredible. And something I learned, a closing note, is all these politicians out there, right? The people who are running the country, running the world, they are so dumb. They are so incompetent. They are so crooked. They are so morally bankrupt. These people are nothing special. Most of them, right? You have a few true freedom fighters. Sure. But they're so bad. They're so weak. And they need to be challenged. And when they don't get challenged, they pat Joe Biden. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. So this show, what we're going to do, what the, what the good people out there, the real media people who are in it for the right reasons, those people bringing that challenge is the only way that these people are going to be held accountable. Because it was up to them. They wouldn't they, they would want no press, no media. They'd want to hide like Chris Smith and they'd want everything to happen in secrecy. And you enjoy your six dollars a gallon of ga gas while you eat your bugs for dinner uh, <laughs> and you like it and own nothing. That's what they want. So, yes. I appreciate no, it, guys. No, we appreciate you, Mike. And uh, listen, if we potentially have set up a, an eventual roundtable with me, Noah, Antoinette and, and yourself versus Jack and, and Cernovich, where we could talk about some of these midterm election issues. I'll let you know the date and time, and we'll for sure uh, maybe sell some. Uh, that'll have to be some paid content for Steak for Breakfast, maybe the first of its kind, because mm. uh, a lot of people will probably want to hear what that debate's going to be like. But um, not, yeah, not only saying that. We'll, we'll get you back at some point in July. We're just getting the month kicked off, so there's no reason why you can't get back on here before the month's over, Mike. We wish you a happy fourth. And, uh, again, we're, we're very appreciative for all you're doing out there. He is bold, unafraid, and, of course, America first. He's Mike Crispy. Thanks for coming oh, back on State for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. <laughs> all right, coming in next on the show today, he's a field reporter, journalist for the uh, Daily Caller. He's one of our favorite guests to have on the show, and we're really thankful for him coming back. Jorge Ventura. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, man, it's, it's, it's good to be back. So you've been busy, to say the least. Uh, you probably have one of the most active social media accounts on Instagram. Some of the, uh, I mean, we share just about all of your videos because they're so breaking news related. And uh, 
you've kind of been on the ground uh, in a lot of the things that have gone on that we're going to let our listenership hear about today. I'm going to take a little bit of a step back uh, and, and rewind because you were working on a pretty big project before the news cycle kind of spun out of control, and that was a new documentary uh, that was really focused on some of the uh, narco-trafficking that's going on, surprisingly, in the United States. And uh, you, you did some excellent work out here in California, and I want you to tell our listenership a little bit about that, something that uh, interests us very much. Yeah, man. Um, you know, the, the past 30 days have just been insane, obviously. But but before we kind of got caught up in this kind of news cycle with the border again, I was up in uh, we actually traveled up to Northern California. We wanted to look at their problem with the illegal marijuana operations because our first documentary really focused on SoCal in the deserts. But it's a I mean, it's a new thing in SoCal. So that's how we covered it. But in North, Northern California, this issue is nothing new. Um, I mean, we were in Siskiyou County which is a county, I mean, so just to put in perspective, we were, when we filmed our documentary, Cartelville, we were in LA County, which has plus over 500 illegal grow operations. San Bernardino County has about over 1,100 grow operations at that time. I mean, both of them have, have more now. But in Siskiyou County alone, in Northern California, we're talking about a county with between 7,000 to 10,000 operations. So, I mean, it's a, it's a whole nother level um, of kind of drug cartel control. Another thing that kind of throws an aspect is, those Northern California counties are, are really poor counties. We're talking about rural counties, small towns, ranchers. Um, so they don't even have really the money to come back kind of this cartel stuff. But when I went up there, man, uh, you know, we, we spent about a month and a half filming. And I think the biggest thing that shocked me is um, a lot of the Northern California legal operations are actually controlled by Asian drug cartels or just Asian gangs. It's more. It's a lot Asian-based. Um, a lot of people who are involved from the Hmong community, who are who originally were, I guess, living in Minnesota, we find out, and then migrated basically to Northern California and started getting involved. You know, we're we're talking about towns where you know I was in Doors, California, which is a like neighboring the the state of Oregon, so it's really Northern California. And I mean, Doors has about fifteen hundred people, and they got like a, the same amount or even more illegal grow operations in this small town controlled by Hmongs and other Asian Chinese nationals who are threatening these people. The water theft is, I mean, it's completely insane up there. I believe they're losing around 4 million to 6 million gallons of water per day wow. uh, just in Siskiyou County. We spent some time in uh, Lassen County. So this is a, a perspective for the audience. So we're in Lassen County, um, which is a county that's basically also getting hit by this wave of illegal gr uh, grow operations and drug cartels. But the county is bigger than the whole state of Rhode Island, and it only has two sheriff deputies for the whole county. So if you're a rancher and you have cartels stealing your water and everything, and you call you call 911, the sheriff will literally tell you, I'm not sending any of my men up there because I'll basically, well, first of all, I only have two men. And, you know, I'm not sending a sheriff deputy to basically deal with drug cartels. So you're basically kind of on your own up there. So I've been absolutely shocked. So we, we, we wrapped that up, and we're hoping to put that out by the end of July, uh, maybe mid-August is the, the release of that. It's in the editing process. Yeah, that's just a, a ridiculous amount of, well, places that they're growing, how the people, the citizens of the, those counties where, where these, these grow operations are taking place, and just how big of a problem it is that the cartels have basically been able to cement themselves in the United States and basically operate free uh, of fear of law enforcement or any kind of repercussions to uh, illegally grow drugs in the United States and then make it so much easier to distribute them throughout the country because you don't have to worry about the international trafficking at the Mexican 
and Canadian borders. And, uh, you know, it's going pretty much right to the shops. At, and just uh, it's crazy to hear. Where do you think the big drop-off is? Why hasn't maybe like uh, state level or even federal law enforcement got involved in, in, in such large operations that are going on? Dude, that's that's the question that we're asking because it's gotten so bad in Northern California when you speak to the residents that they're like, dude, at this point, I literally don't think the state of California could even do anything. I mean, just in, like I said, just in one county, Siskiyou County, they have 7,000 to 10,000. They think Shasta County out there has around 5,000 to 6,000. Lassen County is climbing up to the 2,000 range. I mean, it's the, and then we're not even talking about Humboldt and all and the rest of Northern California. I'm only talking about like a couple of counties here. So, they, you know, what they tell me is they think they need National Guard. They think they actually need like Washington D.C. involved. So we're trying to ring the uh, you know alarm, uh, you know, on that with with the footage that we're showing. But I mean, it's gotten to a point. I don't think the state of California could do anything. And then the thing is, um, you know, back in 2010, they had illegal grow operations, but that was done in like in like California national parks. So basically. <laughs> You know, back in 2010, kind of the early 2000s, when you had an illegal grow operation in a, in a California national park, you know, law enforcement could just go in there immediately and just bust it. You didn't, you didn't need a warrant and stuff like that. But because of Prop 64, which legalized marijuana and, they, and it knocked down the illegal cultivation, which used to be a felony in California, now to a misdemeanor, now you could just grow it on basically private property and stuff like that. So that actually creates kind of this kind of hassle for law enforcement because now you have to go through this kind of legal loopholes even to get a raid. Um, it's just it, like I said, it's it's gotten to a point. It's a complete mess. And the 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 thing that is is really key here is is the water theft because our state is going through a massive drought. It's getting to a point where uh, farmers in Northern California, so far people in SoCal haven't got hit yet. I think it will come in the next uh, coming years. It might even come sooner. But in Northern California, you're already they're already on heavy water restrictions. So picture this: imagine you're a farmer. You have to now deal with the state of California, right? restricting your water use so now you're losing money because your cattle i mean everything else i mean you, you're basically losing out because you're restricted by california you go over that the the, the amount they, they put you to you're going to get penalized now you're also dealing with inflation the economy gas yep. and on top of that you got cartels now stealing your water and if you call 911 your your police uh, you know your law enforcement in this, in this town you live it's too small to even deal with that i mean it's it is i mean it literally kind of sounds out of a movie but this is happening in the United States in 2022. Yeah, it also sounds like things that you would more commonly, uh, you know, see in places like West Texas, not Northern California. Yeah, and, and maybe for people for outside of California don't know, but when you're in Northern California, it feels like a, like a completely different state, right? It feels yeah. like you're in middle America. It feels like you're kind of in the, you know, Kansas, you know, middle America. People are, you know, Republican voters. I mean, Lassen County up there was like voted 84% to recall Newsom. I mean, I don't, I, that was like the highest count of any County up there. So it's, it's Trump countries, that type of voter base. And they feel completely abandoned by Sacramento. They also feel that Gavin Newsom doesn't want to help them out because Gavin Newsom knows that Northern California is basically all Republican counties that sure. basically just, I mean, don't support this guy at all. Um, so they feel completely abandoned and you're really seeing working class ranchers getting left behind. And it's a, it's sad to see. Yeah, another another typical instance of things that are happening inside of Joe Biden's America right now, especially with Gavin Newsom out here. There's a lot of rumors and speculation that he's getting ready to, uh, you know, make an announcement in, in the coming of the next year after the midterm elections to uh, get into the presidential primary. 
So on the Democrat side, so getting into things like that, where he would have to get involved and maybe even ask for help for Washington D.C., I think it would be like a a perspective black eye for him to have let this gone on and get so out of control in his state that he would have to ask for help. It would probably hurt it. So besides from your documentary and hopefully some uh, patriotic Congress people out in, in the Beltway, hopefully we start getting this thing brought to light and we could use it against people like Gavin Newsom when he goes to run for uh, a higher office next year. In my opinion, um, I, I wanted to segue now so. You guys wrapped up and you headed back to where you're probably most comfortable and do a lot of your most comprehensive work, and that's down on the southern border. Uh, you know, the crisis has been getting worse and worse out of control. Uh, but before we could even get into that, you know, last month when you were there, uh, you, you were doing some of your regular reporting, and, and it just so happened that there was an enormous national tragedy that happened. We all could obviously remember the uh, the massacre that happened at the elementary school out in Uvalde, Texas. So I, I believe in a very short amount of time from when things were like still going down, you went from where you were, you know, rove reporting to you were live on location at the school. I was watching it on television and I see you start, you know, getting onto all the new shows and stuff. That is one of the worst situations you could probably ever want to be in, you know, not as a parent or a community member, but even as a journalist as well. How did that whole experience like just, you know, give us a little bit of perspective, what it was like to work something like that. Yeah, man, I, I got to say that, that you know, I've, I've been through some crazy stuff and that yeah. might have been one of the more, if not maybe the top craziest moments because the, the, the thing is, it's one thing when you go into reporting something and you kind of expect what, you know, you already kind of know what you're doing. So, you know, we were originally down there for the Title 42 ending and we were actually in Mexico. So we're in Pedras Negras, we're right across Eagle Pass. And when the news broke out, the thing is news was going around so fast the first thing that we heard that we got was an illegal immigrant got in a got in a car chase, basically was getting chased by Border Patrol agents. This illegal immigrant crashes his car. He jumps into school and starts shooting. So that was the initial uh, report. So when we got that, I mean, we immediately got over to Eagle Pass. And then from Eagle Pass to Uvalde, it's just a, it's just an hour away. So we so we start heading that way. And, you know, by the time we get there, <laughs> I think it was around four o'clock, three thirty ish. And uh, I basically I got there the same time FBI got there. Right. FBI got to Rob Elementary. And and as soon as we actually got there, the first hour, we interviewed a key witness. And it, it was a guy that lived basically right down the street from the school. He told us that he heard the gunshots. Basically, when when the shooter shot his grandma, he heard that and he basically jumped out of his of his house, saw the truck basically come down the street saw the car crash and we were one of the first to, to report that when Ramos crashed, he actually got out of his car and started firing at two funeral home employees that jumped, that basically jumped out of their funeral home and heard the, you know, heard the crash. Um, so we were one of the first to, to, to report that. And that, that, that was pretty key. Yeah. But the, I mean, it was just in a crazy adjustment because the news was, was going everywhere. The thing is too, uh, there was a lot of uh, international press, and, and, and national press that was already covering Title 42. So everyone went from the southern border to Uvalde. <laughs> so that you, you kind of saw this little town being taken over by, you know, media, cameras running everywhere. Um, that I mean, that same day, the majority of parents didn't find out if their kid were, were just, they didn't know if their kid died or were deceased around one or two in the morning. Right. Um, and I think the, for me, the saddest part was the very next day, I'm actually, I had a really early interview with Lawrence Jones on Fox and Friends yep. and we're in the car. We were in Eagle Pass. So we had a, we, we woke up really early. So we're headed there. It's like around five in the morning. And then that's when the pictures, man, of the, of the kids came out. And that right there, I started crying. I think I cried on Fox and Friends. 
um, because I think what, what really was the most heartbreaking part was uh, hearing from one of our sources, sources in the hospital that, I mean, the bodies were, were, were coming in so unrecognizable that they needed to do the DNA, uh, you know, um, scan just to get an ID on the bodies. I mean, that's how brutal it was. So it just, I mean, it was, it was an experience of that, you know, I can't explain because on top of all this, you know, you're handling all this, you know, you're, you're basically kind of one of the first reporters and then kind of on top of a national news story that's developing. I mean, this, not only was it a massacre, but then the police timeline just threw a whole wrench and everything. Yeah. So it went from you're dealing with a massacre. Then now you're dealing with like an actual like investigation with, with why did, why are police lying? There's so much holes to their story. It was so much, man. Um, yeah, it was probably one of the crazy ex- experiences I learned. I learned a lot. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, right after Uvalde, I remember I took a, I think a good week from like a new, news detox and like didn't look at news for a whole week and just took a break before getting back on the field. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember that very uh, vividly. Me and you were talking uh, through social media, you know, I was telling you, you were crushing these interviews, but I could tell, uh, you know, based on how a lot of, you see a lot of stuff on the border all the time, Jorge, you see drugs, you see guns, you see dead bodies all the time. There was like a whole different emotional tone to the way you were explaining these experiences, especially like that one interview you had with, uh, Lawrence Jones on, on, on the Fox morning show. And, uh, you know, I, I, I remember I was trying to hype you up saying you could crush it. You were crushing it, man. It was good interviews. You look good in the suits, but at the same time, it's like, uh, you could tell that like the emotional baggage that you would get from just being in that environment, not, you know, seeing like the crime scenes, but just the emotions coming off the parents and a hurting community. And then like the confusion with the police department. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. We know how, uh, much you co- have collaborated over the course of your career with law enforcement, whether it have been during like the summer of love and all that other stuff. And then down on the border, you work with all the federal agencies and DPS and those people all the time. And you have a really good relationship with law enforcement, but it had to be really upsetting just to see, it seemed like it was like small town politics that was like in a perfect storm of like change of command. And then like a little bit of a power grab between, you know, the local uh, police force that was in charge of that, you know, where the school was and then just dropping the ball communication wise. And it seemed like it was like the perfect storm for you. You couldn't handle a tragedy for, of something of that magnitude. And it just seemed to happen at like the most inopportune time for that. And uh, it was really sad to see. And we're still learning stuff about it today. I mean, they released a whole bunch of pictures, I think earlier in the week, that showed like cameras inside the school of law enforcement staged while there was supposed shooting going on. And uh, it looked like they were, you know, equipment wise prepared to make a move in that movement. You know, they had the ballistic shields, everybody was geared up helmets and ready to go. Uh, it seemed like they had a large overwhelming uh, amount of firepower there. They just never, and I don't want to be cliche here, but pulled the trigger on going in there and it, it turned out to uh, probably have made things worse. You know, it was a crazy experience for me because, you know, I have obviously like if you guys watch my covers, nothing against law, law enforcement. You know, I, always, I, you know, my job is always just to do my job of just just reporting. So sure. I've never had an issue with, with with law enforcement. I see what Border Patrol guys go through here during the riots. I saw what, what they went through. We tried to tell the story. And I mean, immediately the day after this police timeline didn't make sense. And when actually I started reporting critical on law enforcement, um, I actually got attacked a lot by my own followers, a lot of people on the right, conservatives. Uh, calling me a shill, saying I sold out. Um, I mean, all these things. And then as actually each day went by, we actually got to prove that we were more right. Right. Um, you know, we, we, we went through the, the Uvalde kind of police emergency protocols. When you deal with an active shooter, they basically violated every single one. They didn't, they didn't follow it. So, you know, that was actually a kind of a thing for me too, man. That was kind of, was kind of tough during that time was seeing people turn on me and then, 
um, you know, called me out. A lot of people, you know, on the, on the conservative right. And it was like, you know, look, I get it, guys. Like, like you know, you're back to blue, but you got to hold people at the end of the day accountable at the end of the day. I mean, that's just that's just it, it is what it is, whether they're law enforcement, whether they're a politician or just like your local uh, city council member. Does it, right. it doesn't matter. You have to hold uh, people accountable um, because at the end of the day, you could be in that position where you need their help. And if they you know, don't make that call, I mean, they were arresting. Uh, parents. I yep. mean, and, you know, we, we found out later that they arrested the husband of one of the teachers that, that was killed. He was running in there to save his wife. I mean, it's heartbreaking stuff. So that was kind of something, you know, that was kind of tough. But then as the days rolled by, um, you know, I'm glad that we stood by reporting because we even got to prove more right as, as more, you know, more of these details came up from the investigation. Yeah, you guys were definitely ahead of that curve. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand, too. A lot, a lot of people who don't interact or, 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 or see law enforcement on a regular basis. They don't understand small town politics, law enforcement. It's like you said, circling back to what you talked about in the documentary, just imagine like a sheriff and two deputies, like those old school movies where they're like sitting in an office and uh, that's your whole police force. I mean, obviously they had a little bit of a bigger one and, and, and a pseudo SWAT mm-hmm. team in, in Uvalde, but they also had people from uh, the border patrol and CBP, you know, they, some of them were in uniform still, you know, they were, whether it was their BORTAC guys or whatever, um, you know, but it, it was just like an all hands on deck. It just seemed like a big communication breakdown. And a lot of people need to understand, like there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we'll never find out. But, uh, obviously that was not done to, to, uh, serve the best interests of the people who were involved in the situation. Like you said, with the parents getting arrested, I thought that was absolutely horrible. And, uh, you know, you're always going to have critics, but I think at the end of the day, you guys reported it just about as well as anybody else. And, and, and a lot of stuff has come to light since that reporting has happened. I mean, they're still dealing with some of the scandals that went up down there. I see the sheriff is like either stepping down or was removed and, uh, just just a tragic day. I mean, I think the, the the whole gist of it was is that you know a whole bunch of kids were murdered and teachers were murdered and and, and there was a dropping of the ball. But just a crazy experience for you to have been down there and uh, do such great reporting on it. The last thing I want to touch on with you, Jorge, and it's it's you know the bread and butter of your work is is the stuff that you're doing along the southwest border. It's you have probably the most comprehensive coverage people on different networks and different agencies. They do it a different way. I'm sure you guys all have a great respect for each other. You have always put a real human aspect on it. Instead of just reporting, you talk to the people, you talk to the families, you go onto the Mexican side and report logistic stuff that's going on on the other side of the border. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks when we've seen such a huge uptick, yesterday we found out that the uh, Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Biden administration to, uh, you know, basically they don't have to adhere to MPP anymore, which means there's going to be no Remain in Mexico policy for people who are looking to, uh, you know, illegally come into the United States. What is some of the stuff you've seen down there now? And just in addition to all the things we see on TV and hear on the news, how much crazier is it to be on the ground there in real life? You know, it's 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 completely insane because last year was already historic on the amount of my migrant encounters. And then this year, I mean, they're going to crush that that record. I mean, the month of May nearly had 240,000 migrant encounters. The thing that's that's kind of been surprising me of late from being down there was you know last year you're you're always going to be running into family units um obviously a lot of a lot of the men in the family units are it's you know fake family units they just say they're family but they're not um you know sometimes men you know pressure kids to, to say that they're the son or daughter so that they have a greater chance of being released and processed in the united states but now I'm, we're seeing a bunch of i mean hundreds already from yuma to to even in uh, in eagle pass hundreds of single men coming without families and they're not even worried about being being deported, it's, I mean, these are military-aged men 
I mean, it's it's insane. Hundreds, and they're they're not just coming in from Central America. There's coming in from South America. We we met bunch uh, hundreds and hundreds in Yuma that were were running in uh, in the middle of the night from all the way from India. It's it's has just completely gone off the rails. Um, I mean, Yuma to me, I think was the most surprising last week because in the middle of the night. You, you could actually see the cartels and human smugglers just dropping off hundreds of migrants. Yep. You could just see a bunch of vehicle traffic and they just running in from all over the world. From Yuma, we were meeting migrants from Lebanon, Belarus, Russia, Afghanistan, Georgia. I mean, and the thing is that no one has any fear of being deported. Um, it's, I mean, you, you know, you, people always ask me, like, is there like a, a you know, like a positive note? Do you see anything like, I'm like, absolutely not. I mean, the numbers don't show it. Border patrol morale is, is low. I mean, when we were in the ground in Yuma, we had a, we saw it multiple times where it was one border patrol agent processing 200 people. I mean, it looked something out of a movie. Um, it's it's completely overwhelmed and overrun. The drugs are flowing in quicker than ever. I mean, Governor Greg Abbott signed that, you know, four agreements with four Mexican state governors, yet we're still seeing hundreds roll in the migrant caravans. Um, and, you know, President Almo in Mexico, too, just doesn't care. But the thing is, President Almo is not pressured from the United States to, to, to step up his behavior handling the border. And I mean, he was really pressured under Trump with the tariffs. But under Biden, I mean, Almo is, is basically chilling, man. He has no worries uh, about it because he doesn't have to deal with it. There's no pressure from our president. No, you make a lot of good points there. Uh, it was reported pretty widely recently. You know how the president of Mexico st- skipped the Americas conference in, in Los Angeles last month. And some of the backstory to that was is that, you know, Joe Biden... I guess, got in touch with him and said, you know, optically, this is looking bad. What can you do to make it look like when Trump was here, where it's just like little bits of people coming through, you know, and, uh, and he's like, nothing like, you know, we're getting these people out of our country as fast as we can. Like you keep inviting them. It's your problem. And, you know, when Joe Biden kind of drew like a little harder stance with them and talked about some of the uh, European uh, asylum seekers that are crossing through the country, he's like, well, well, we have deals with Russia, they gave us like 2.5 million free vaccines and, you know, China's coming over and they're, they're redoing a lot of our infrastructure at like a ridiculously low rate. What are you doing for us? And Joe Biden's like, you know, and, and that kind of end. And not only did they end on such a bad note, but the president of Mexico didn't show up at the conference, uh, which was really bad optically. So, you know, the Biden. And, and another thing, too. And another thing, too, bro, I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, the, president of El Salvador, the president of El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras didn't show up to the summit Americans and they were their their main talking point was immigration. I mean, I think out of those three, President of El Salvador, Nayib Bukele, has been the absolute most critical because he even says he says, he says, I want to keep more Salvadorians in El Salvador. But when you guys do that open border policy in the US, the human smugglers basically win because they're gonna get they're gonna convince these people that the time is now and they're gonna make that journey. Yep. No, you're 100 percent correct. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you because you get to see it every day. Um, you know, COVID hit our federal officers who work down on the border. Well, all the officers too, you know, the DPS and the state troopers in Arizona and stuff like that. It hit them hard. There, there, there was a lot of deaths, uh, for, they call it line of duty deaths for officers, you know, across the country, but especially the ones that worked on the Southern border over the course of the two years of the lockdown. And then the first now 18 months of the Biden administration, we've seen more suicides in the last three years than we have in the previous 10. How overworked and just absolutely demoralized our hardworking U.S. Customs and Border Patrol officers down there. Uh, you know, what's the experience like seeing them have to do this? Like you said, one officer, 200 people. We, we heard you say one time, like, 
they took a bus of people and then the other people that were like waiting for the bus to come back, it was hot. They didn't want to wait. So they just like walked into the United States, went whatever they want. How bad is the situation for these, for these guys down there working this? I mean, at this point you're just watching, like you're basically watching troops just fighting this, like losing battle, losing war. I think that, you know, whether it's border patrol or literally like a sports team, (laughs) you know, the morale is always going to be low when your leader doesn't support you and the leader is joe biden and they when they don't have the backing of the president you don't have the backing of your own secretary like mayorkas you don't have the backing of your border patrol chief like ortiz i mean these guys have nowhere to 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 turn to i mean i remember under the trump administration how high the morale i feel like they in a long time they finally felt they had a president that supported them i mean at this point it's a losing battle the other thing that kind of made it even way worse was Biden continuing to hammer the Border Patrol over the fake yep. horsing whip investigation in Del Rio. I mean, you couldn't, I mean, the fact that, that that there's still no evidence of a whip and you have the president still going after them, I think that was kind of the last tipping point. Uh, but I mean, it, it's, it's, it's completely sad to see. Washington Examiner did a great piece where they interviewed eight Border Patrol, eight, eight, eight border Patrol agents on the record. And one of them even said, at this point, I actually feel guilty for doing my job because I'm actually breaking the law by allowing illegals into my country, even processing them, and then releasing them inside the United States. Uh, one uh, Border Patrol agent has told me multiple times, I, I, I repeated this, but that he's like, at this point, I'm an Uber driver because all I do is pick up uh, migrants and literally take them back to be processed. And I do that my whole shift. Um, I mean, at this point, it's, I, you know, it's funny. There was a the Border Patrol, they put up a post... I forgot it was on Instagram and Twitter of them saying, hey, like, come work for us. This is our career. This is our starting pay. And I mean, all the comments were like, why would I go work for, you know, a, a law enforcement agency that basically allows illegals in? But I mean, that's that's how it feels. And, and these guys, you know, like I said, morale is low. And you're also seeing that in their behavior. You know, Mayorkas came down oh, yeah. uh, sometime last year yep. and you had Border Patrol agents actually leak audio of things that he said, you know, because basically Mayorkas in public says the border is closed but when he meets the agents he actually tells the truth and says hey i see how overwhelmed you guys are and basically how overwhelmed the border is uh but the, the agents don't trust their i mean like i said when you don't have the support of your leaders it really starts from there and then everything we've, we've seen up to this point it's it's pretty bad i mean it, it i really don't see how much worse it could get but at the same time i said that last year and it's even worse now so um i would expect it in a year from now, it would be much worse than it is now, which is uh, pretty incredible to think of. Yeah, you know, now now that uh, MPP has kind of been abolished as of yesterday, we could we could definitely see them trying to parlay that into a finally getting rid of Title Forty Two. I know um, a lot of the states along the southern border might have a little bit more legal footing with that, just because of the amount of people that are already there and the uh, you know. Well, every time he gets up on Capitol Hill, the way Alejandro America says, he either doesn't have the data or, or the data doesn't match what the news is reporting, which, you know, people like you are there. You guys are literally showing thousands of people a week just crossing, you know, unimpeded. And uh, he goes up on Capitol Hill and says it's not happening. It's, it's, it's pretty funny to hear. Also, when he went down to see those agents, I think my favorite part of that leaked audio was when they asked him what Border Patrol class he graduated from because he had the jacket on with the badge. And uh, when he when he said he was it was given to him when he got off the plane as a gift, they're like, you didn't earn that badge. You need to take that jacket off. And he got all butthurt and started yelling at them. Why are you making it political? So, yeah. That, that, 
Yeah, I just want to say shout out to he's he's my good friend, but it was Town Hall Media, Julio Rosas. He got that leaked audio, and it was, I mean, it was so perfect to 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 see that. But that's the level of frustration that our Border Patrol agent uh, is at with 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 the leaders of of the country handling this. Yeah, no, you you don't you don't joke about that. It, it's a deadly serious problem, and you know one thing that's not really reported on by any news agency, but we really try to stress on this show. Once somebody comes into the United States and they're admitted either illegally or I guess pseudo legally like they're doing now, they're just giving them the notices to go find an ICE officer or a judge at some point in the future. Um, these people are, are almost unremovable from the United States. They either are into the wind and you'll never hear from them again until they get like, you know, criminally charged with something. But then you find so many sanctuary cities that they don't want to do anything to, you know, turn them over to ICE or anything, or they immediately start having children which then makes you virtually undeportable because you have like, it's an older term, but you have your anchor baby there that will eventually be your sponsor to get you your papers. So we we keep seeing these unprecedented numbers and I think everybody's doing like the best job that they can of reporting it, but it doesn't matter if like Donald Trump or or Ron DeSantis or whoever is the president in, in 2025, the people that have already come in under the Biden administration, millions will never leave. And that is going to help, you know, continue to destabilize crime the job market, the economy, schools with the uh, dip in, in educational test scores because of all the people who are non-equivalent and they're just getting sent to public school for free in a lot of these states. And I think that's probably an even bigger, if not equal, problem to the mess that's going on down at the border. I absolutely agree, man. I, I you know, I, I keep thinking about it every day. I'm, you know, this system, I mean, you almost have to say it's set to collapse at some point. No other country in the world in history has ever allowed this amount of legal immigration. And a hundred years later, they're doing fantastic. Um, If there is a country, please show me the data. I would love to look at it. I really don't know how this is going to work. When you have this amount of uh, legal immigration, it really hurts American wages. So big corporations, companies, they don't have to rise their wages. They don't have to worry about competition uh, when it comes to low-wage workers. A lot of these people are going to live off the tax system. A lot of these people are people we don't know who they are. There's a lot of gotaways, people we don't know their criminal history. A lot of folks who have already committed crimes in the U.S. that are, are basically remitted into our country now illegally. I, I, I you know, I, I'm trying to be hopeful here. I really don't know how this system is not going to set to collapse. And like you said, whether we have a Republican governor or not in 2024, uh, it's these people are not going to be deported unless they basically commit a homicide yep. on the U.S. soil. I mean, they're, they're basically here to stay. And, and if they have kids, I mean, it's almost they basically guarantee their stay. I, 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 I don't know how where this is going to go. Where, and, and the thing is, a lot of these folks that, you know, a lot of Republicans don't think they're coming to their states. They're absolutely coming to Republican states. It just was announced like a day or two ago from Washington Examiner. That in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, they have to basically they're, they have this huge facility. They're going to help basically house all these unaccompanied minors. Yep. You have a lot of I mean, when I interview them, you have Cubans and Venezuelans headed to Miami, Florida. I mean, they're really headed to all over Florida. Uh, I, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? It, I mean, we just never seen this ever, ever in, in history. No other countries. I mean, uh, any other country that you look at that even allows a huge amount of uh, uh, immigration, whether it's actually illegal or legal, uh, it actually doesn't work. Look at Switzerland. They're allowing a lot of people from Somalia and Middle Eastern countries. Those people are not assimilating, and Sweden, to their their culture, a lot of rapes and assaults to women, 
uh, murders. And now we're seeing street gangs develop. I mean, we've, like I said, we've just never seen this in history. And I don't know why the U.S. wants to be the first one to put this on trial. Yeah, no, you make a whole lot of sense. Like we talked about that report that came out of Sweden. It was like a 10 year study that did the uh, it was like a 10 year canvas of the early 2000s when they let a lot of migrants come in unmitigated from North Africa into Sweden. And in 2021, 50 percent of all migrants who registered to come in in the early 2000s contributed to 100 percent of the gang violence that goes on in that country now. And by the end of their lives, they will cost the Swedish government, on average, $25 million per person to put them through. That's insane. Yeah, whether it's the social programs or government reliance and then all of the uh, stuff to do with the legal system. They said it's completely a failed experiment, and we are doing it here. We're sending them a lot of these people. We're going to middle America. You know, we've had a, he's the nominee for Pennsylvania eight Trump endorsed Jim Bognett on the show. He blew an expose up there out in rural Washington. They closed a job core facility that had 500 kids uh, learning trades at it and are now housing with no fences and no security, 500 Afghans who just go out into the community and go wherever they want into town. They come and go. And uh, he said it is completely destabilized part of his uh, congressional district. And uh, we're glad he won the nomination. So hopefully he puts an end to that as soon as he uh, gets over the finish line there in January. But, uh, yeah, it's something that we're seeing everywhere. I've seen some stuff out of, like, Wisconsin recently and some just other red states, rural areas. They're trying to hide these people. But, unfortunately, if you're not going to, like, lock them down into a facility where they can't leave, they're going to go out into the communities and immediately start to destabilize it because – if anything, there's just a cultural gap. And then you, you, you know, the young fighting age males, there's the crime, the rapes, the assaults. And, uh, when they can't get what they want, they just kind of start forming gangs. Uh, and you know, we've seen so many no-gos in places like the UK and France, uh, you know, and Italy over the last couple decades that, uh, you, you would hope to, you know, stuff like that doesn't happen in America, but you know, the Biden administration is doing a really good job of making sure that they're off to a great start. Yeah, this situation, it's not going to get any better. And like I said, no other country has ever done anything like this. Just culturally, it, it just doesn't even make sense. It, I mean, it, I think it's just we're headed to disaster. I mean, the amount of illegal immigration, the gotaways that we're letting flow in, and then we're not even, the thing is, we're not even talking about the fentanyl and the drugs. Right. Yet. I mean, it's, 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 it's a completely broken system. And the people that continue to get hit by this is a middle class, the average American worker. You're a very rich person in Beverly Hills. Never they don't have them. to care about right. they don't have to care about the illegal immigration that comes in. They they're they're living behind their, their golden gates. They have personal security. They don't have to they're never going to see the effects. We are going to see the effects. We are all going to see the effects. The very top are never going to see it. Those in Washington DC the elite they're they're never going to see it. Um, and it's all of us that 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 continue to get hit. Um, We'll see if the GOP and if, you know, I'm expecting, you know, Trump to run again and we'll see if he could he could communicate that message correctly um, to the American voter the way he did in 2016. I thought they did that very well, the, the way they communicated the American, the immigration message, because uh, we're seeing right now more than ever. I mean, you're always going to get white working class um, to, sure. to go for immigration. We're seeing now the Latinos more than ever really shift to the GOP, especially in Texas, off. Uh, just the issue of, of immigration and strong border wall and black men um, overwhelmingly support a, a, a strong border wall. So it's a, I mean, it's a smart strategy to even go with. Yeah. You got that trio of young ladies down there, two nominees and a sitting Congresswoman already who have uh, 
you know, are in position to flip seats that have never gone Republican. And, and the number one issue there is the border and how it's affecting the schools and how it's affecting the economy. And the people that have lived in these areas for a long time have put up with it. But now they're they're really starting to get sick of it. So I, I think that's definitely one of the uh, biggest issues that's going to be coming into the uh, election cycle coming up. We see a lot of the uh, candidates, especially ones running on the southern border, obviously out in Arizona. You got that entire ticket right there. Carrie Lake, Mark Fincham, Abe Hamaday, and then Blake Masters running for Senate. They're all talking about some of the most comprehensive and strongest border policies in the history of this country at the state level. And, uh, you know, they're going to set the standard for a lot of the those people. Like, you know, you took Greg Abbott to task. Uh, you know, the other day, and it's one of those things where you have a governor that starts actually doing the things that he says he's doing, and it's going to look a whole lot different and, and, and kind of force him to maybe play his hand a little bit more and be a, a little bit more aggressive with it as well. Yeah, you know, with, 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 with Greg Abbott, um, you know, he, he's doing what he can, but you also have to hold hold him a, a, accountable. You know, he said Texas is going to build its own border wall. Yep. We, I mean, first of all, that that just I don't even know where you would even get that funding. I, uh, I believe just even to get a mile of border wall is basically like $20 million of taxpayer money, yep. which leave it up to Washington, D.C., right, to, to make it <laughs> $20 million for one mile of border wall. Uh, but he's been kind of touting this agreement that he's made with these Mexican governors as a, as a success and touting it to voters. And we just have not seen that at all. We're still seeing the hundreds trickle in. I mean, it's even gotten worse in Eagle Pass. He's basically made an agreement with the with the governor directly from Eagle Pass and Pedas Negras yet. We're still seeing hundreds and hundreds roll in. I mean, just in a five-day span in Eagle Pass, they had over 7,000. And I, and I think that the shocking thing to me, and I'm trying to highlight it, and, and I, I encourage people to see it on my Twitter, Adventure Report, is the amount of single men yep. crossing without families right now by the hundreds. And this is not just a couple. This is not just a group of 20. By the hundreds is alarming. And I guarantee the majority will be released and processed inside the United States it's a it's a it's a it's a broken system. I think um, you know when you speak to voters, especially in like in a state like Arizona, Texas, immigration is at the as at the forefront. And you know I think that's what we're actually seeing. Carrie Lake and, and and Blake Masters lead. Look, I'm not I'm not an expert on on Arizona politics, but I think if you hammer in that immigration message, because the thing is with immigration, there's so much other connections. It's national security. Um, so it's, it's interesting right now. And the, the thing, I mean, we're seeing it really here in South Texas where, I mean, I'm, I'm actually in McAllen right now. I mean, McAllen last year voted in the very first Republican mayor in yep. history and he's Ever. Latino. Yep. His name is Javier Villalobos. We saw, you know, Meyer Flores, we, we have a, we have an interview with Meyer Flores later today, but Meyer Flores flipped the seat that over hundred years didn't go Republican yep. and she's Mexican born. We also have Cassie Garcia running down here. She's another Latina woman, Monica De La Cruz. So we're seeing something pretty fascinating and we're seeing kind of the, the Latinos kind of shift to the to the to the GOP off the issue of immigration. But I, I think another issue that 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 is, is pushing the Latinos there, um, you know, we could dive it into another time is, is really the, the cultural issues, especially I think the transgender yes. uh, CRT, that type of education. Once you put that on on, on Hispanic parents, yeah, that's no, a yeah. huge turnoff, whether, whether that Hispanic parent votes Democrat or Republican, once you get in those lanes. Uh, that that's a huge turnoff for them. Yeah, there's not enough seven day candles in Southwest Texas to, uh, you know, change a voter's mind on whether or not they're going to be able to teach like trans stuff to their kids. It's just a that's just a no go zone for them, and uh, <laughs> it never will be. I'm telling you what, Jorge, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. You know, you have become just so 
awesome in the in the couple years that we've been you know having you on the show we've seen you going from like working on the front lines of things going on in this country to working and doing all the stuff you do internationally pumping out you're about to launch another awesome documentary that we can't wait to uh, share everywhere we know how busy you are it's hard to lock you down but when you come on the show we always have a great time with you obviously we'll hope to have you back at some point in the future and uh, just really commend you for all the work you're doing you're bringing shining a lot of light on something that's like one of the biggest national issues it can't be easy on the mind on the heart especially on the body i saw you <laughs> walking across the river with migrants the other day you know showing everybody what it's like <laughs> and, and it's just got to be one of those things where you got to be beat every day when you go to bed but we want to direct our listenership to number one, follow you, support you in all your endeavors, and uh, keep up on everything related to your good works. And uh, if you want to give out your social medias, and obviously your website, we'll live link them in the show description today. Yeah, yeah. Check out all the good work, guys. Um, that documentary, if you guys are interested about the legal grow operations, that's carteldoc.com. I'm on Instagram for those folks on Instagram, Jorge Ventura TV. We're posting a lot of great content there. Yep. And I think the best place, uh, Ventura Report on Twitter, that's where we break live news so when something is happening in real time you 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 get that and you know we're on the border now we've been uh traveling the past 30 days um just trying to trying to you know get as much raw video i think that's what the audience will probably enjoy the most this is raw video it's not in written articles so you get to see it with your very own eyes and i think when you see it you can't you can't deny it um and i really i appreciate you man for having me on and, and working with my with my schedule is hectic in the news but i appreciate you having me on man because guys like us need shows like this because at the end of the day we're still going against the censorship the corporate bias and, and news um so everything everything really really helps out yeah we'll make sure we get y'all over our social medias we got a really big uh, interaction gap right now on uh true social we've we've done really well on there since it's launched and uh you'll definitely get some shares on there some new guys following you uh across your other social medias and checking out your documentary but we will for sure do this again jorge we wish you to you know the best out there and to of course, overall, stay safe, and, and we'll look to circle back at some point in the future. This is a field reporter and journalist for the Daily Caller, one of our favorite roving responders on the uh, southern border, Jorge Ventura. Thanks for coming down today. Thank you, man. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's done just about everything, former executive producer of some of the largest podcasts you've ever heard of. He's uh, also currently the comms director for uh, Carl Palladino for New York, one of our great friends, and we're great to have him. Uh, very thankful to have him joining us again today. Vishbur, welcome back to Steak for Breakfast. What's up, guys? I miss you. It's been a long time. Well, you're the one that's been busy. I mean, we're here every Tuesday and Friday, but uh, you've been running around everywhere from the bottom to the top of the country, Florida and New York and everywhere in between. What's been going on with you? Why don't you give our listenership an update? They're always uh, interested to hear what you got going on. Yeah, so... Uh... You know, I was trying to make my way down to Florida, and uh, what ended up happening is I actually had to head north and uh, go to Buffalo. I got a phone call, and uh, turns out, you know, Carl Palladino is running for for office. And people, who, for the people who don't know, Carl was the uh, 2010 uh, nominee Republican nominee for governor against Andrew Cuomo yep. uh, back then. And uh, Carl won in an upset in twenty ten. In twenty ten, the establishment was behind a guy named Rick Lazio. Uh, you know the entire sort of media apparatus and everything. He was kind of a Trump before Trump kind of guy back in twenty ten. Uh, and uh, he so he ended up upsetting uh, Lazio in the primary. Uh, he, and even in the, uh, general, I mean, he just won the only part, I mean, he lost in the general obviously, but, uh, he won 
almost all like all of Western New York, his area in Buffalo. So uh, since then, he um, he ran for school board and won here in Buffalo. And now that uh, the seat opened up because Chris Jacobs made, you know, a a politically suicidal mistake here in this district by coming out and saying he, you know, he would support some kind of uh, gun control or, um, you know, after the uh, Uvalde and Buffalo shootings and uh, that (laughs) three to three or four days later, the guy's like, yeah, I'm not running for re-election anymore. Oh, imagine that. Got him. (laughs) So, and this is the, um, this is probably the most conservative district in all the state of New York covers uh western new york and the southern tier uh just right right outside of buffalo and and south of buffalo and all that down to uh the pennsylvania line and uh stretches all the way out east just past uh elmira new york and i know we were conversating before how internet is actually kind of from this region (laughs) i love buffalo the summers are super cool here and uh, yeah, uh, you know the seat opened up. Carl uh, decided to run, and there's no doubt he's going to win. I mean, the guy has invested in this area of New York, uh, Western New York, Buffalo. You know, when essentially, you know, all the elites and globalists have done everything they can to try and gut this place of all of its productivity and all of its, you know, great power. Uh, you know, there's two, uh, Buffalo sits in between two of our, you know, great lakes, Lake Ontario and, and Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can even, you know, you come out here, it's, you can, you can kind of understand why the early pioneers, uh, uh, you know, of, of America, uh, you know, they come out here and they, 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 you really see America's majesty. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that inspired them to do stuff like, you know, the Erie Canal. And, you know, it became a huge manufacturing base yeah. here and and a huge port um, uh, for, you know, to to provide uh, services and logistics and stuff to, uh, you know, states out more west like Michigan, Minnesota, uh, Chicago, uh, Illinois and beyond. And so, yeah, uh, you know, it, over the last 50 years, this place has kind of been abandoned by you know, all, all the powers that be, but Carl has stuck around and invested in this, this area, this community. And he wants to now continue doing that for New York, uh, in, in, uh, in DC. And so I'm going to help him get, I'm going to help him get him there. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's my plan. But, um, Antoinette, why don't you tell us about, uh, you know, your experiences here, because I'm kind of new and you seem to know this region well. Well, it was a long time ago. I was really young. My parents and I and family would go up there. We would meet family from Canada that would cross the border over there as well. I mean, I mainly grew up in the city and in the Bronx, Westchester County as well, you know, but people, you know, in in New York that are from the city would, would either leave for the summers, they would go to the Hamptons or they would go to Buffalo, you know, or like way north to get away from all the craziness. And I'm, I'm seeing it happening now. People are rediscovering places like Buffalo and realizing, wow, there's so much more to New York than, than the city and being stuck in this shithole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful up there. It's calm, peaceful, quiet, conservative. People mind their business. 
safe, you know, families, it's really good place for families too. And there, there's so much potential there. And like you were saying, everything they've tried to do to New York, there's still, there's still potential and there's still a way to save it with people like, you know, like, you know, like, like the guy that you're working with right now, I yeah. forgot his name, it just totally escaped Carl, me. Carl Palladino. Yes, Carl Palladino. Yeah. So yeah, we need more people like that because New York is worth saving. It's, it's a big state and there's so much, so much to offer and so much potential. It's just sad seeing it go downhill, but I have faith. Yeah. Yeah. And it's border country here too, right? You, as yeah. you mentioned, uh, it shares a border with Canada. Fun fact, I'm banned from Canada. Oh, nice. For a, <laughs> yeah. For at least <laughs> another seven years. Why? White <laughs> supremacist? So, so, so <laughs> I was trying, I was trying to go to Montreal um with a couple of buddies of mine literally the weekend before the 2016 election and uh i I was trying to go and we get stopped at the border and they you know they asked like you know has it was like midnight on on like the friday and they're like have have you ever been arrested before i had a decision to make it was either i lied to border patrol right or, you know, I, I err on the side of telling the truth. And so I did that. And I was like, yeah, I've been arrested before. And they're like, for what? And I was like, uh, you know, we need it. Just open a can of worms. Yeah. And now they're like, all right, you're going to pull to the side. They found like two like vape, you know, two cartridges. gram cartridges. And they were just like, oh, yeah, based on your previous record, and based on what we just found, you are currently banned from Canada for 13 years. That's crazy. 13 right? years? Thir- yeah, it was 10 years plus the three years for, um, I think, uh, because it had to, it's the 10 year starts at the end of my probation that I was still on at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So total, total that I, I was just glad I was like, so I'm, I, you know, my, after that, all that was done. My, my only question was, so am I going to jail tonight? I know, right? Like, no, you just have to turn around. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> but funny. as I was leaving, you know, and like I said, it was the weekend before the election. I'm, I'm telling you right now that that experience radicalized me and I came back. I, was like, <laughs> I want I want two walls, one with Mexico and one with Canada. And I think the one with Canada might be more important. Uh, I thought you were going to say you yelled, this is MAGA country as you drove away, <laughs> which also uh, it, 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 it's about to be. I'm still I'm still on the annex Canada wave. No, I, 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 I get it. That's a. That's some pretty wild stuff. Vish, I got a lot of questions off of that monologue that you gave us right there. You know, being a show producer like you, your former self, Mm -hmm. uh, the first one's obvious going to be, is is Carl available on the 5th or the 12th of July to join us on the show? (laughs) We we, we can finalize off that. We'll get him on there. We got to get him on. We'll get him on. And uh, no, it'll be our pleasure to host him. But but secondly, uh, I want to kind of like merge this right here. So... A lot of producing content creator you know you've done a lot of uh i mean i call it like campaign related stuff you might refer to it more as like activism you've been so involved at the the new york republicans club forever and mm-hmm. uh, now you've rolled this into working directly with another campaign um how is mm-hmm. that transition and then all the additional things that like a lot of other comms directors might not have experience in that you've been in i mean you've already like 
worked on one of the biggest podcasts in, in, in the history of podcasting. You've worked for you know in the offices of Congress for a, a sitting House representative, and now you're you're jumping on Carl's campaign. You bring a lot to the table. How has that transition been for you, and and how do you see yourself being able to really energize this campaign and get the message out there? Which is pretty much at the end of the day, the ground game is what get, is what's getting a lot of these candidates over the finish line right now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for me, there's no transition at all, right? Uh, it's it, to me, everything is a show that you're producing, right? And so, I like that. You know, it's it's just, do you have do you have everything in place necessary to achieve the effect you're trying to reach? You know, achieve the do you, you know or the impact? Um, when that all that's always when that's always the goal then the the recipe just depends on what ingredients you have in your hand right and so you have a campaign you know the star of the show is carl right what's the story what's the narrative in fact you know campaigns and making movies are probably some the most similar sort of uh skill set needed you know you're trying to it's always a story that you're trying to tell with you know victory at the end right and so that is um it's it's the same approach it's just different right and that's why and and that's not even um you know i'm not even kind of stretching too much on the truth in that uh we people always say you know dc is hollywood for ugly people right or dc (laughs) you know some people say dc is hollywood for smart people right and so what you know one way or the other the comparison to hollywood uh, is so spot on because at the end of the day it is a show and the better you are at producing a show the better you probably are at actually like politics and politicking yeah so it's a it's a translatable skill set yeah i agree with that coming from like that world of hollywood i could see exactly it's a really good interesting it's the first time i've heard it put that way but it's so true i totally agree yeah i mean i hand them a you know so people you know uh, a candidate has a like gates uh you know he goes out and gives speeches well who helps write those speeches right and that's like a script that you're reciting yeah essentially right and so you have script writers who are actually you know legislative aides or communications directors right Mm -hmm. the number one skill actually and this is probably true in hollywood Um, you know, in politics, in media, you name it, the number one most sought after skill is a good writer. Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. And so if you can write well, um, you can be a rock star comms director or, you know, uh, script writer for movies or et cetera. The the, the skill is translatable. You just have to know your subject matter and what the end point is. Like, what is the desired result and so everything in between is just how you produce the show to get to create that impact yeah that's a good point you make and and definitely i i like the analogy you gave of it being kind of like you know whether it's a, a podcast a political campaign or a movie they kind of all have like the same blueprint i guess you could say as to uh you know what you would want the eventual outcome to go starts with the inception of it and ends with you know a likely victory and uh 
Yeah, it's going to be a pretty big battle. I'm pretty sure that you guys are going to be up against some challenges up there in New York. You know, it's not one of the mm-hmm. easiest states to run as a Republican. I know based off of Carl's history, he was uh, a huge admirer of, of President Trump and uh, probably will be championing some Trump-era policies intertwined into his uh, campaign platform. So, uh what, what's the uh, demographic looking like out there in regards to the voter base? And, uh, I mean, with stuff like gas prices and the economy, and then you factor in some of the other little things like screwing around with the kids at school and, uh, you know, still some vaccine mandates are uh, pretty hardcore in, in some portions of New York. You get, the voter base out there has to be looking for a change. Oh, I mean, so New York, the, he's running uh, in New York 23. And New York 23 is the, the new one that was just drawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um is the most conservative district in all of New York state. It's like a R plus 23. This is like the equivalent of uh, Matt Gates's district out in um, Florida, uh, the Florida panhandle. That's like a R plus, you know, double digit yeah. seat. So is this one. And the really, uh, you know, we have to win the primary. And, uh, you know, it's basically just winning on August 23rd, uh, as long as we win the primary, which should be a slam dunk. I mean, everybody here knows Carl and everybody know, just knows what he's about. There's no doubt in like who the guy is and what, you know, what he believes in. He's been an advocate for this, this region his whole life and has directly invested in it. You know, he's, I think he's the largest private landowner in the Buffalo area. Um, so he, yeah, he, he, he's, you know, created an engine that, that keeps this, this city and this region growing and he want and everybody here knows that. And he's trying to bring that to the house. And again, he will, uh, he will win this handily, uh, this primary handily and the general election handily really his, it's not a if, but it's not a if, but when, right? That's really the question here. And so uh, the voters want to change. I mean, these voters here are the most MAGA voters probably in New York. Um, they are tired of the gas. I mean, the gas prices, the inflation. You know, I was watching a MSNBC segment this mo- uh, this morning, and they're talking about, you know, a cookout is like you know the it went up in 10 uh 10 10 dollars in price uh rise and you know the the stuff you need for a cookout and they cut to the lady in chicago uh doing the the segment and she has like a shopping cart with like some soda ketchup hot dogs whatever i think some coal and you know soda came out to about 60 bucks and she says she says but you know we could as you notice there's no beer here and she said, yeah, and her follow up to that uh, to be funny, she says, you know, pays to be wholesome. Right. And it's just like it's so glib, not understanding like, wow, we're deb- like we're debating, you know, whether or not like you can enjoy a beer with your, you know, July 4th hot dog uh, on TV. Like you're making whole segments about this because the problem's that bad. The if there's if they're saying that that the national average is like 60 or 70, you, you know, in some places people, you know, that number's up to like 90 or a hundred dollars sure. for what you were paying, you know, just 80 or 70, oh, yeah. you know, just a year or two before. Oh, uh, we saved, we saved 16 cents last year. <laughs> the bar, the barbecue prices went down 16 cents last year, right? What was that? A Biden's thing. Yeah. Now this year, they're up now it's up 10 50. 
Perfect. No, and, and when you're talking about places like California and New York, which is where we <coughs> currently are, uh, Vish out in New York and, and, and then us in, in San Diego, uh, we're experiencing, you know, some of the worst inflation rates in the country right now. California is running at about, on average, when you combine everything across the board and don't leave out all the convenient things that the Biden administration does to make their equation look better, we're running at about 26% inflation rate out here. Eesh. So Yeah, no, it's it's out of control. Um it, People here in New York, I mean, you know, if, if change doesn't happen soon, there's already an exodus, but this is not sustainable. Oh, it's yeah. simply not sustainable here, especially here in New York, especially in places like California. And, and you know, <laughs> and you know what, what the, the priorities of these Democratic governors are? I just saw, I think, the bulletin this morning is that Joe Biden is meeting with Democrat governors Right. And what are they going to talk about? How to figure out how to codify Roe. Yep. You know, that's what they're worried about is like, how can we preserve our power to murder babies, you know, instead of getting together to figure out this inflation inflation problem in places that are feeling it the most, especially, you know, places run by Democrats, New York, California, you know, uh, Illinois. Uh, these places are just, um, I mean, even in Michigan, that, that lady Gretchen Whitmer, she, you know, she made her name as an abortion activist, yep. like an abortion yeah. rights activist. So, you know, these people are more concerned about that than the struggle of everyday Americans right now to do normal stuff, you know, and then, and, not, <laughs> and we're talking about issues of just the flights. You can't even get a flight. Every flight is like being canceled now. It's out of control. How many how many people I've been I've been hearing around me who need to catch flights? What everything's being canceled. It's a, it's it's no secret. It's being written about in Bloomberg and all these all these outlets. The the country is a mess right now, and this is what happens when you have, you know, an absent absent minded, senile, illegitimate president yep you know but i mean like i the country resembles his brain right now his being yeah that is ultimately that you know what what you get when you elect a leader you it's like you you buy all of that and you become that and that's what you're seeing right now you know we're, we are we are now living in joe biden's fever dream you know and it's the it's the smoke screen too because Everybody who's on the Biden train or riding for Biden or whatever you want to call it, like they can't look, they can't look at all the stuff that's jacked up, that's jacked up. and, and just go with it. They ha- they can't, they can't be like, oh, we're going to go riot in the streets about, you know, Joe Biden and gas tax and all the other stuff, but they can very well get on board with something that makes them think emotionally rather than rationally. And just, this is our reason, you know, this is what we're going to go out and do because they can't look at the stuff that's right in front of them that's fucked up. They have to just be like, well, this this is the other thing that, that we can get behind because it's what the other team doesn't want. Right. No, it makes a lot well, of sense. Well, yeah. you need to keep the base in control, right? That's their problem right now. Like, look at what are they – how are they these people campaigning now? The whole thing is, you know, uh, vote for a Democrat or vote for the extremist Republicans. That's all you yeah. have. That's right. all anybody has now. Nothing else. And so, well, that, so this is the problem that they're facing. They need to keep their, 
whatever's no, there's no real Biden base or voters, no. right? It's just the base that comes in and, and, and votes for Democrats. And then like all the fake and illegal votes after that. And mm-hmm. then just normal people who, I mean, there's a ton of those folks that you know, just wanted an end to the mean tweets and, you know, now they're paying for it. And any of those people who, all y'all who voted for Biden, hear me now, you owe me gas money. <laughs> you know, right? Like straight up, you owe me gas money. Uh, <laughs> so they have nothing. They have to use things like, oh, you know, they want, the Republicans want gun-filled streets with babies everywhere and, you know, fertility clinics. Babies with guns. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> sounds, yeah, that, sounds like heaven. That's literally yeah, sounds pretty amazing. Yes. Yeah, babies and guns. Yeah, and they're they're like, oh no, that's that's hell, dystopia. I mean, when you have the church of like the satanic temple, the official account sitting there, like, man, you guys are wilding. <laughs> yeah, you know that. Yeah. I mean, when they are aligning with the left and the Democrats, I mean, it says enough, basically. And they're yeah. now, you know, they're actually now trying to invoke religious rights and freedom uh, to, you know, because uh, it's a ritual for them. It's like taking communion or getting baptized. So they're, they're uh, I believe it's Texas and Minnesota. They're suing the states and they're going to claim religious um, discrimination of people are not allowed to get. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's, a good okay. idea. that's a good idea. Go to court and try to set precedent. That the say you know that the satanic temple has preserved abortion as a you know as a religious sort of uh, ritual or procedure. Yeah, it's a religious religious tenant for them. It's their. Oh sex. yeah. Ugh, crazy. But yeah, when you know they're on your side. <laughs> no, we are living in crazy times, and uh, you know, I'm Vish for as good a friend as we become over the course of the last couple of years. It's really good to hear. You're continuing down this path to, I mean, you've done a lot of political activism. You've worked in Congress already, and, and, you know, you've done a great job to help get the message of, of, you know, keeping America great out there for so long, and now you're parlaying that into another campaign uh, for a candidate that we all hope now gets over the finish line. We'll be really excited to sit down and talk to him and, uh, you know, of of course have you back on the show soon. Um, We want to be able to direct our listenership to find you uh, on social media wherever you're not permanently banned. And then uh, we'll we'll actually live link uh, Carl's stuff in the show description today, his campaign website if it's up already. But obviously his social yeah. media, as I see, is on Twitter. So Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you, can follow, you can follow me on Twitter, at Vishbura, Truth Social, at Vish, uh, Getter, at Vishbura. But follow the campaign, uh, on Twitter at Carl Palladino and why check the website out, carlpalladino.com. And, uh, and I think uh, we're on Facebook and, and all that too. So uh, yeah, just <laughs> keep an eye on the campaign. Uh, you know, the whole idea here is we need that, that subset. Like, you know, there's, a, <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of people talking about the majority is going to be, you know, we're going to win the house by like 50 seat, we're gonna have a 50 seat majority, 60 seat majority, 70 seat majority. That might not actually be the best scenario. Right. You know what I mean? What you want is like 25 to 30 seat majority. And it's like you and your home, you, you and your like 40 homies all vote one way. And that should be the MAGA homies, the MAGA gang, ultra MAGA MAGA gang, <laughs> right? In the house. 
<laughs> right? You 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 guys are the 40 vote, the 40 MAGA votes, and the caucus doesn't move without you, or the conference doesn't move without you, and you get McCarthy by the balls. Yep. Right. And that's that's how you that's how you play the game. Right. And so that is what we should hope for. And you need and this is and now though you have a Carl in the mix, you know, he's gonna he's gonna be part of that crowd that's going to uh, work with the MAGA crowd because I mean, Carl is just you're again, Trump before Trump, he was enraging the media, you know, Hey, that his, when he was running for office, they, they said, uh, they made a stink about him saying, I'll take a bat to Albany. Right. <laughs> Think about that for a second. In 2010, the media went crazy that he like publicly said, you know, I'm going to take a bat to Albany with like, a, he took a picture with the baseball bat and, you know, they lost it. Think about how, what's happening today. You have uh, conservative justices, you know, that are being, their lives are being threatened, Yeah, you yeah. know, by folks showing up at the, you know, literally with the, the, the blatant intent to kill uh these justices like Kavanaugh and whatnot. I mean, and you know, you barely hear about it. Think about, you know, how far we've come and what's tolerable now in terms of like, you know, uh just just the, how how crazy the media's gotten and how nefarious they are. So uh, you know, Carl's gonna be in there, uh you know, causing a little ruckus with the MAGA crew. Uh shout out to Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Green, Paul Gosar. Uh, Jim Banks, all good folks, um, and uh, we're gonna be we're gonna hope to see them in the house uh, next come twenty twenty three. Yeah, I like it. That's uh, definitely well the leaders of the based caucus for sure. Uh, yes, uh, up there one hundred percent. And uh, you know, Car I think would make a fine addition to uh, you know that group there as well. I like the fact that you also mentioned it's not the number of seats we win. Uh, in the fall this year, it's the content and the 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 people that we're putting in there that are really going to be the reflection of where this party is going to go uh, moving forward. So we really need the people who are not just grifting off America first, the ones who have actually been there since day one. And when you talk about Carl's case, it's been before. You know, he's pre-Trump America first, and uh, yeah. it's it's one of those things where we, we we can't miss out on opportunities like that when he decides to jump in this race. And like I said, we'll be looking forward to having him on the show real soon. Yeah, Vish, we're going to wrap yeah. with you now. We'll live link you and, and, and Carl's stuff in our show description today. And, of course, we know you're going to be getting busy after the primary. Uh, and after we have Carl on, we'll be, always, of course, looking to have you back. Uh, you're always welcome here anytime you want to jump on and, and, and talk some shit with us. You know uh, you've got a home here on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, guys. I always uh, enjoy my time with you, and I'm still looking forward to being live in the studio with a steak for breakfast while I do the show with you guys. Oh, that's, yes. Out of all the things we can do, I can guarantee that's one of the easiest ones this is. Yep. This is, <laughs> this is one of our favorite executive producers and uh, content creators. He's currently the comms director for Carl Palladino for New York, running in New York 23, Vishborough. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Take care. Coming back in now with the rest of the news. The uh, January 6th shit show continues to roll along. Uh, the show trial, in all of its context, has, has pretty much lost all legitimacy with the, uh, well, storytelling that Cassidy Hutchinson, former coffee grabber for Mark Meadows, uh, gave up on Capitol Hill last week. We touched on it right My at the end of the show. My friend's neighbor's cousin exactly. said. Who knew a secret service agent in another life. She blew him. Right. And the memes that stemmed from that, 
have been amazing. Thank you to everyone who. <laughs> yeah, that really backfired. <laughs> but uh, well, where did they think it was going to go? Yeah. Um, what I want to do is refresh our audience because we're going to go through, you know, what happened this week with the brief portion of her testimony that we played last week on the show. With Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol. And when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not. You don't have the assets to do it. It's not secure. We're going back to the West Wing. The president had very strong, a very angry response to that. Um, Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president. Take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. They were in the presidential we're mini going Cooper. back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. So, what? okay, so he Darth Vadered the steering wheel mm-hmm. from across a, a, an SUV. Then, with his free hand, mm-hmm. he lunged <laughs> while I'm assuming sitting in a oh. vehicle seat with a lap belt on. So he lunged with one hand. With his free hand, he lunged. With my strong hand. <laughs> we were just talking about that. <laughs> like, and how? how does somebody ever... Third-hand information, freehand information. Look, I mean, obviously, it's not a real trial or not it's a real deposition. <laughs> but how would it just illustrates how stupid and just fucking vapid these people think the general public is to just believe anything? I, I, I but see. that's the thing: is people want to believe this, though they want Trump to be unhinged. They want him to be. A fucking psycho just because it's, you know. I mean, it, it also shows just how desperate they are. Is this all they have? If this was true. It yes, this is all they have. Long, yeah. It would have come out a very long time ago. You know, but, it's just ridiculous at this point. Like, all right, this is all you got. You know, I say it every week. Our elected officials up on Capitol Hill. Republican House members and senators are allowing the Democrat Party to run a third impeachment trial that is completely baseless, untrue, and made up. Call it the phone call gate. Call it Russia gate. SUV gate. We're literally allowing that 35% of immovable voter base from the Democrat Party to solidify their stance by giving them something that is completely unfounded completely untrue yet they will believe it until the day they die so now in addition to being like all this idiotic shit where people in history will remember what's this stupid bitch's name we're gonna get to that fuck donald trump sat down for an exclusive interview yesterday with uh, rob finnerty of newsmax um which leads me to believe we are closer than ever before to getting him on the show because aside from dan ball and oan we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here Mm. i mean it's, it's it's the morning show guy uh, good for him, notch on the belt for his career, but 
I mean, we've had on a lot more high caliber guests than Rob Fernerty has, and he's nationally syndicated on cable news uh, five days a week. And some low caliber ones. There you go. Stop it. (laughs) Donald Trump responded to these allegations that Cassidy Hutchinson made up on Capitol Hill last week in front of the J6 committee. And uh, we're going to listen to his response to that right now. Lady yesterday, there's something wrong with her? Is there something wrong? She said I jumped from a car and I started strangling. Think of this. I started strangling a Secret Service agent who I know very well. I grabbed the steering wheel of a car uh, that said that I wanted guns at my rally. I didn't want guns. I have to speak to, and I don't did, want guns did you for grab anybody. The steering wheel? Is that? Is there any truth uh, to that? Of course not. Is that ridiculous? In fact, the Secret Service came out and said that this story is totally false. Yeah. The woman is living in fantasy land. She's <laughs> a social climber, if you call that social. Uh, I, I think we all know it's what just that means. a shame that this is happening mm-hmm. to our country, and we don't have any Republicans up there to dispute it. We have one who quit. Kinzinger, and we have another one who's down by 35 points yeah, in Wyoming. <laughs> so you're uh, saying she's lunged she's under a, total a few disaster. She's a train wreck. <laughs> but think of it. Nobody to cross-examine. Uh, Professor Dershowitz said you can't do where you have a hearing and there's no cross-examination. This would have been the easiest cross-examination anywhere. And they put her on, and they don't even confirm it with the Secret Service. The Secret Service people in the car said this didn't happen. But but you don't even need that. Who would do that? I would I would grab a Secret Service person by the throat. I don't even know if it's possible. Certainly not in the beast. It's but very even hard. One, even in one of the SUVs. Well, it's very hard for another reason. These guys lift 350 pounds. Right, right. <laughs> I, I saw you get out of the SUV tonight. It seemed like it was pretty smooth. Yeah, uh, it no, wasn't grabbing it's, anything. it's fine. I mean, I, but, you know, these are people. These are great people. These are great people. They've devoted their lives to it. And I think they were very embarrassed by it because it yeah. makes them sound terrible. Tony Ornato and Bobby Engel. Uh, They're great. I, I know them their very records. well. Sterling. They are records. sterling. Um, and I was very nice that they came to my defense. I thought it was incredible, actually. Uh, because, you know, some whack job can say this stuff and get away with it. No, I mean, <laughs> he's right. It's, it's just what I was saying. Like, we're allowing this to take place. We're wasting right. taxpayer dollars, which is now, if you count both impeachments and all the other investigations that they said were going to be the last final straw for Donald Trump, he's going down, he's getting indicted, he's going to be walked out in shackles and perp walked. Hundreds of millions of dollars now of our taxpayer money. Uh, we've collaborated with, you know, executive producers from ABC to make this look more like a movie. We've brought in, you know, these mystery guests who have zero credibility and no backing to their story. And uh, they're continuing to just do whatever they want, say whatever they want, and then they roll on the next day consequence-free. I, I think, like, at, at the end of the day, even though we weren't allowed to have, you know, the picked, selected people on the Republican side on the committee, there was there are legal ways that they could have ended this stuff. Uh, you know, not just threatening investigations after the midterms. Legally, they could have done stuff, and they just haven't done it. And it's a big disappointment from some of those guys because there are some real fighters up there. I just don't know what the issue is and why they're rolling over to Nancy Pelosi, but... Uh, you know, we need to see a little bit of, of, of change in the uh, the way things are done up there, or it, this is just going to turn into like an, an every single time someone's elected thing. I agree. Judge Janine was on the five shortly thereafter, uh, later this afternoon, yesterday, and, uh, you know, she weighed in on this whole Katsidi Hutchinson narrative. Let's hear her. 
court of law, you're looking to take down a president. And, and by the way, everyone who testified there testified under oath. Now, if the Democrats right now are into law and order and truth and justice and saving democracy, well, then anyone who lied should be prosecuted for perjury. Let's talk about this. What, what do you do to test whether or not someone is telling the truth? You have cross-examination. It's an age-old test that has served us well for centuries. There was no cross-examination of this woman. Number two, she talked about hearsay. Now, I talked to two sources today from the White House at that time. They both say that she was so low-level, she wanted people to believe that she was in the, center of, uh, uh, in the center of the room when major things were being discussed. She was not that person. That's factually untrue. They also tell me that the Secret Service, along with the lead agency, uh, the drivers, they are willing to come in and testify that what she said is not true. In addition to that, they say that she says, and I have a quote, and I looked at Tony and he said, did you hear what happened in the beast? She says again, Tony proceeded to tell me when the president got in the beast. These people tell me the president was not in the beast. He was in an SUV. Correct. So she's lying about that. She's lying about what she said. Are you, are you taking umbrage at this? No. Oh. No, I just, I... I She's like, what I, the I fuck are you looking at, Janice Dean? It's the, if the president's vehicle, it's always called the beast, whether it's the vehicle it's or the SUV. It's an SUV. No, right. the, I, the, the, the beast, my understanding, according the to these like, people, is a bigger vehicle. But in addition to that, Mark Meadows never asked for a pardon, didn't intend to ask for a pardon. And the note card that she said she wrote where they were supposed to release that statement on January 6th was written by Eric Hirschman. Now, they all want to testify, and in fact, two of them already testified, but the producers decided that they would only air the one that is riddled with not just hearsay, but double hearsay. Mm. Which apparently is worse than regular hearsay. Mm. You know, I know they subpoenaed to uh, have as one of their next star witnesses former White House legal Dan Cipollone, who if you have read or listened to... Um, Dr. Peter Navarro's book in Trump time uh, was not a huge fan, was not an America first legal counsel during the course of the Trump administration and was uh, looking for all things golden parachute related mm. uh, towards the end of the, uh, you know, first Trump presidency, especially during the stop the steal portion of it. So it, it's, it's one of those things where, like I said, they just continue to do this stuff to this guy. I mean, for anyone who thinks that Donald Trump is in this for the money or the fame or the attention, you know, he said, he said it best at his rally last week. If he would have just said, you want to know what? I had my run. going to go play some golf. Call it a day. And he literally said it. They would have said, like, okay, thank you for participating. On to the next one. And right. that's literally what it is. But they can't really do anything because they can't get him. And, and, and although Donald Trump throughout the history of his life has been an extremely flawed person, everything from personal to business and anything in between, um, you want to talk about things that were perfect, even though a lot of his uh, maybe hires weren't, but the way he conducted himself as president, although some people just didn't like the optics of it, was conducted in a near perfect manner because everything they've tried to like legally, congressionally, and any other way uh, nail him has just fallen by the wayside he's he's like literally the teflon don of politics mm -hmm. you know i don't know why she spoke there it was to an extremely small audience but 
January 6th committee co-chair, Liz Cheney, uh, spoke at the Reagan Library out here in California this week. Um, I, I think the funniest part about that was is that someone took the grand old memes of Liz Cheney superimposed as George Bush's face that Donald Trump plays at the rally <laughs> and put it on the big sign out there that said she was speaking that night. Um, she would continue her trash rhetoric uh, of going after Donald Trump and not caring about any of the constituents in the district that she's supposed to be representing in Wyoming. And uh, let's hear a portion of what she had to say. But I also know that at this moment, we are confronting a domestic threat that we have never faced before. Hmm. Your favorite kinds, Noah. And that is mm. a former president who is attempting to unravel the foundations of our constitutional republic. How? And he is aided by Republican leaders and elected officials who made themselves willing hostages to this dangerous and irrational man. Now, some in my party are embracing former President Trump. And even after all Most? we've seen, they're enabling his lies. Many others are urging that we not confront Donald Trump, that we look away. And that is certainly the easier path. One need only look at the threats that are facing the witnesses who've, become, who've come before the January 6th committee to understand the nature and the magnitude of that threat. But to argue that the threat posed by Donald Trump can be ignored is to cast aside the responsibility that every citizen, every one of us bears to perpetuate the republic. We must not do that and we cannot do that. Ronald Reagan said it is up to us in our time to choose and to choose wisely between the hard but necessary task of preserving peace and freedom and the temptation to ignore our duty and blindly hope for the best while the enemies of freedom grow stronger day by day. No party and no people and no nation can defend and perpetuate a constitutional republic if they accept a leader who's gone to war with the rule of law, with the democratic process, or with the peaceful transition of power, with the Constitution itself. Mm-hmm. 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 No, oh. you, see, you seem to be on the edge of your seat listening to oh, her. Just riveting, compelling, and rich. You, you, yeah. you failed to uh, garrison her even once. I was so bored, I couldn't even... By now, I, I checked out. You, you know, she's getting so bad right now that, that people that are working the ground in Wyoming are encouraging Republican voters who are considered moderates or maybe not totally on board with Donald Trump to register for the Democrat Party and vote against Harriet Hageman in the, in the, <laughs> in the primary election that's coming up there in August. <laughs> it's that bad. And, oh, my uh, gosh. That's yeah, it. she's literally one of the last rats on the Titanic that that is their sinking narrative right now. It's yeah. like it's it's so embarrassing and cringe and she, like she must know. Like how does she keep going out there and and making herself look so bad? I don't think she's that stupid. You know, it's one of those things. There's ulterior motives. She's going to go work at think tanks when she's done in politics. I mean, she hasn't lived in Wyoming almost for the entirety. She lives in Virginia and has another home in Aspen. Um, you know, and she doesn't care about her constituents. She's not a blue-collar fan. She's a big war machine fan and always has been due to her family ties. And I just look forward to, for the first time in, in several decades, there being no Bushes and Cheneys involved in our government after the midterm elections. So... Mm -hmm. 
in, in the last piece from this section, uh, before we turn the corner, uh, Jim Jordan and Jim Banks joined uh, Fox News last night. They, they did a little piece there talking on some of the uh, compelling and uh, titling information that's been spewed from the January 6th committee this week. Uh, for as much as I like both of these guys, especially Jim Banks, I think he's a real fighter, kind of carries a big stick and is a quiet guy. Uh, they just, in my opinion, haven't done enough to push back on this. I, I think by going on talk shows and, and, and talking about how it's illegitimate is not the same as, like, literally digging your heels in and, like, at the end of the day getting into a real scrap. But uh, let's hear him, both of these guys, kind of talk about it. Want to hear from them? I'd bring in a yeah. handwriting. Uh, I'd bring in handwriting experts, and they can determine was it Hirschman or was it the the woman from yesterday, Catherine, uh, that wrote on yeah. that piece of paper. Um, I would bring in Nancy Pelosi. I'd bring in the sergeant at arms. I'd bring in Chuck Schumer. I'd bring in the Capitol Police chief. Why aren't they brought in? Why didn't sergeant these people call dead. in the guard? I bring in all the people that can testify that Donald Trump authorized the guard. Why are we hearing any of these right. things in this committee? Because this is not an unbiased uh, finder of fact. These are nine people, as you said, Sean, nine people who voted to impeach President Trump, nine people who are out to get President Trump and don't want him to run. And understand, all we've got from this committee is lie after lie after lie. They lied about Bernie Kerrick's travels. They lied about Representative Laura Milk's tour. They lied about Jenna Ellis's documents. Yep. They lied about Eric Hirschman's notes. They lied about the Secret Service. They lied about me twice, a text message that I forwarded to the chief of staff, and a video clip. All we have got from them is lie lie after lie after lie. So we are not going to get the truth, particularly when there's no chance to cross-examine and no chance to see the documents. I mean, think about all the lies we've caught them in, and, and that's without having any access to the transcripts of the depositions. Mm -hmm. So, so many things they're telling us have to be false based on the simple fact we've caught them in seven lies without seeing any of the evidence. I said Catherine. I meant Cassidy Hutchinson. Yep. Uh, Jim Banks, you know, what are the things you would want answered on this committee if you and Jim Jordan were on there? Because I would think you'd want an answer. If Donald Trump authorized the, the 20,000 guard troops, I would argue we wouldn't ever be talking about January 6th. Wouldn't you want to know the answer to the question, why didn't they take advantage of what President Trump... Oh, okay, we lost Jim Jordan. Uh, Jim Banks. Congressman uh, Jordan, wouldn't you want to know they the answer they don't have to the question set, apparently. if mm. Donald Trump gave you 20,000 troops and authorized yeah. them? Remember, Biden's DOD, Inspector General, exonerated the, the Trump Department of Defense, saying they handled January 6th perfectly. Yeah, no, and that's why we're not on the committee, because we, Nancy Pelosi knew we would raise those kind of questions. And understand this, too, Sean. Nancy Pelosi was never going to let people on the committee who were actually going to ask the questions that the American people would like answers to. She was never going to allow that. She always wanted this sham committee, this partisan committee. She would have continued to veto whoever the leader put up for this committee, because she wanted this outcome where they could run their partisan show trial and simply go after President Trump. Yep. The country's not falling for it. Thank Thank goodness, because the country has common sense and understands when you have a biased partisan uh, committee process. All right, we got Jim Banks back. Jim, if you were on the committee, what are the main questions you'd want to ask? Well, remember, Sean, Nancy Pelosi is the only person in the United States Capitol who's covered anything up about January 6th. She refused to cooperate 
with the Senate Homeland Security Committee, who asked her for documents about the National Guard being called off for, quote, bad optics. Yep. And she refused to give those documents over to that bipartisan investigation in the Senate. That, that's why she didn't want Jim Jordan and I on the committee, because we were demanding answers about her failures, her lack of leadership, the systemic breakdown of security at the Capitol on January 6th. She won't allow this investigation to go anywhere near that topic because it deviates from this highly partisan narrative going after Donald Trump and their attempt to prevent Donald Trump from putting his name on the ballot, because they know if he does, he'll win in 2024 and be the president again. Jim Jordan, last question. Uh, what happened in regards to the unprecedented subpoena of other uh, congressmen and women, and where does that stand now? Well, we've sent letters back to the committee. We're waiting for some kind of response. We'll see. But as you point out, it's unprecedented. Never happened in American history. But so much of this committee has never happened in the history of our great country. Again, that's why the American people see it uh, for what it is. I would also point out, Sean, think about how the Democrats and this committee and Democrats at large have weaponized government against the leader of the Republican Party, against President Trump. They weaponized the FBI when they spied on his campaign. They weaponized the impeachment process a few years ago when they went after President Trump. And now they've weaponized the committee process. Never happened in history simply to go after President Trump. That's how much they're out to get this guy, but it's not going to work. All right. Thanks. Sounds like Jim Jordan could fill in as a co-host on this show. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's one of, I, I get what they're saying, but uh, it, we're, we're just not doing enough. Um, you know, I, I, I want this to end. I want us to get past it. Any kind of, I don't know what it is, disposition, verdict, whatever, like, even like the legal ramifications of what this committee is. It's like, they keep saying it's unprecedented. It, I guess it is in the fact that, you know, what is their verdict going to be? Like, you know, if they say, oh, he's guilty of these crimes, like, it, it doesn't mean that he's impeached. It doesn't mean that he's criminally indicted. Does it just mean that, like... Maybe they can pay one of the Secret Service guys to put a protection order against him. There you go. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's literally the only thing that could probably come out of it. And, uh, you know, he'd have, he'd have a hard time getting in and out of the country. He'd probably have to make a little stop in, uh, you know, visiting with some of the uh, agents and officers that work there. Uh, you know, but I, I kind of want to get off this narrative. It, it's, it's, one, it's something that's there, and I want to keep everybody's mind present on just what we need to hold our elected officials to. And, and, and right now with the way the numbers are shaping up in the midterm elections, there needs to be no excuses in regards to what's going on here uh, moving forward. So speaking of complete retards, mm. uh, Sandy Ocasio-Cortez was on insurrection 2.0 starter uh, Stephen Colbert show the other day. And they, they covered a myriad of topics, but just when you thought, the narrative couldn't get any worse. Jalapeno poppers? <sighs> Top me off. He dropped this one on her. Let's hear it. Couple of quick things before we go. Couple of quick things before we go. Uh, you know, there's some speculation as to whether President Biden is going to run in 2024. There's some, there's some reports that he's a little frustrated that people keep asking because he keeps on saying yes. And people go, are you sure? Are you sure? Um, you know, uh, I know somebody who's going to turn 35 uh, about a month before the election in 2024. 
and uh, they represent New York's 14th. Uh, is is that job appealing to you at all? Um, I think that theoretically. Uh, listen, I think that we need to focus on keeping a democracy mm -hmm. for anybody to be president in, in the next couple of years, and <laughs> that's my central focus: is helping the people of this country. Right so now. it's possible. Oh, so it's possible. I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about. I'm that. just here to get you in trouble. <laughs> exactly, you're that's getting me in trouble. To get you in trouble. I don't know about Okay. Before we go, uh, first of all, uh, best wishes. I understand that you just got engaged. I That's why it's one of That's nice. How are the How are the plans going? Uh, you know, it's a little tough right now to plan something sure. with all this going on. And but supply chain issues. Yes, supply chain exactly. issues. Exactly. Can't get baby breath. This time <laughs> but um, but we're really excited, and um, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out along the way. It's, it's going to be very interesting planning a wedding while serving in Congress, but. I'm sure others have done it before, and we'll do it in the future. Best of luck. Mm. God, her voice. Like, if I was her guy, I could not. I, I just couldn't. Not not even her man. That, that Soylent Ginger. That Who's she marrying? Oh, like I said, he's a, like, translucent skin ginger. Oh, so he's, so he's the evil yeah. white guy. Yes. Well, all, all of their husbands are white. You don't know that? Like, yeah. No, I know, I know that. I was just, you know, readdressing the obvious, predictable thing that just seems to be all the time i i think what's more and the time is the thing that brings us together and keeps us apart isn't that the space <laughs> how low are we if they're literally trying to get her to tease on whether she'd be interested in running for the president of the united states in this upcoming oh, election there's no fucking there's, way yeah, no way dude it, it's just Cannon fodder. I'm pretty sure she's passed in, in, in all of her years in Congress, and then we're getting close to, I believe, a half dozen now. Zero legislation? Zero. Oh, I thought yeah. you meant qualification to be there. Yeah. Zero. Also zero, right. Because yeah. remember, her brother was the original selection for that seat, and, he, you know, from the acting company of someone who... The Young Turks. Yeah. They held an audition, and then they stole her from him. the Turks. <laughs> yep. Tank Uger. But no, nobody, nobody goes back to that. Like this, she's literally an actress with no experience. Like she has yeah. a, she has an economics degree from Boston university. And now she's probably a millionaire. Well, of course it's, she's a millionaire. It's hilarious. She literally auditioned for the role. Yeah. It's so funny to me that people still don't believe it. I mean, they've actually said it. Is there, like, no. is there video of that? Do you think like, okay. So no, there is, there's a whole breakdown and video gonna, of them. Like, I think it's you... her brother as well. Just saying how he submitted her. Was it her, like Rowan? Was it? No, her I mean the actual, the actual audition. Like, all right, we want you to cry at this fence. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, but I think she just met some basic criteria. Mm -hmm. I know there's people, I know there's people on the other side of the fence, the fence, but I want you to pretend that they're border patrol SUVs. We, we want to tell you to take, let me see how you say take to the streets. Oh, yeah. yeah let's take to the sheets, more like. Exactly. Um, no, well, obviously, she didn't have much luck in that department when you take a look at her uh, fiancé. So, probably no longer steak for breakfast enjoyer, Jack Posobiec, weighed in on some of these <laughs> narratives that have been going on over the course of the, of the past couple weeks, especially with the January 6th committee. And although I do not often enjoy hearing him 
bloviate in the way that makes me feel like he likes to hear himself talk instead of just using his extremely brilliant mind to get the point across. Uh, he did weigh in on, on, you know, it's like we were just talking about not too long ago. Every time Donald Trump, like, literally farts the wrong way, there's, like, a major congressional investigation that's bigger than Watergate and is only going to result with him in, like, the deepest, darkest dungeon in Gitmo. So let's hear Jack weigh in on it probably a little bit more elegantly than I did. The Acquisitions Group, what is that? That's the company that merged with Truth Social and Truth Media to create the Trump Media and Technology Group, right? So the idea was that the merger is going to happen by the end of the year. However, subpoenas are going out. Subpoenas are going out across this board to the board members because the SEC apparently has launched an investigation. Again, this, every time, right, every time Trump tries to do something, Every time anything has Trump's name to it, there's always some investigation, there's always some lawsuit, and then it ends up being, right, it ends up all turning into something. And, then, and I love, you get all these wine ants out there, the same ones that are trying to still, there are still people watching the January 6th committee hearings. I, I guarantee you, they're actually still, it's, it's like the stay-at-home wine ants with their, their, their coterie of cats and not young cats, but old cats, like old mangy cats. And they're just sitting there watching this stuff. So they will then sit there again and they will be sitting there watching. Okay, so the, the, the DA and the SEC and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, because the stock option Batman. and the price and the issuance. Well, Swear to me. You need to stop. All right. You just talking need to, to you, stop. Noah. <laughs> this stuff, we understand what's going on. We talked about it last week. It's called the Detrumpification Project. Yep. They are attempting to institute a detrumpification of America. They want him and his entire movement, the MAGA movement, gone. They want it gone from the United States. They want it gone from the halls of power. And they want it gone from polite society. I mean, listen, ideologically, we, we, we see eye to eye on a lot of things with, with you know, people like Jack Basobic. It's just... It's some of the things we talked about earlier in the show about, you know, okay, all those things are great. One of the biggest ways to solve this is to get Mitch McConnell out of senatorial leadership. How about we have 53 seats instead of 52? Mm. You, know, you know, let's get let's all get on board. You know, maybe we'll have a surprise seat or two and get 54 or 55, but it all starts with defending the seats that are up for, you know, openness right now like we are in Pennsylvania. Maybe we can get somebody to lunge for the seats. Through the... <laughs> I still think the Terminator video we put out was the best. Oh, it was amazing. So good. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, jump onto our uh, Instagram, Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There's a scene from Terminator 3 that Carpe (laughs) Duncan, Duncan, amazing edit. And uh, he even resorted back to the turn the lights off from the original 2016 campaign. That was one of my favorite uh, narratives that President Trump had going on at that time. We're going to wrap right now. With, with, with a couple brief clips from the president and that interview with Rob Finnerty yesterday, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a Donald Trump sit down if he wasn't talking about elections that were rigged and stolen. And uh, we're going to hear what he has to say about that. Um, how much of this is about trying to prevent you from running again? Well, I think a lot of in it 2024. is. Yeah, I'm leading in all the polls Every mm. poll. against Republicans and Democrats. I'm yep. leading in the Republican polls at numbers that nobody's ever even seen before. <laughs> and against uh, Biden and anybody else that they run, I'm leading against them. Now, this is just a way of look, look at the dishonesty of this committee. They don't talk about any of the things that refute January 6th. Yep. They don't talk about 
the election numbers. They don't analyze the election. The people were there because That's the when election everybody's was butthole rigged at Newsmax and stolen. Clenches so the same what time. they should They're be doing oh, he's going is trying for to it. convince people that it wasn't. You do that through analyzing the numbers. They don't want to do that. In fact, they don't even want to hear that. And Fox doesn't put it on. And by the way, please you don't people say don't put it mules. on either. Please don't You're say 2,000 mules. Or something. I don't know. Someday you'll have to explain that. This is uh, 2,000 In fact, mules. they'll probably cut what I'm saying out of course right not. now. I don't of course not. This will not. be on Wake Up America tomorrow don't morning, sir. Absolutely not. Good. Get it no, done I will fast. not allow that. Get it yes. done fast before Chris sees it, okay? <laughs> but they might cut it out. And let's yeah. just see. I hope they put it on. Yeah. But this was about... He's even making fun that they're not going to air that portion of the interview. That millions and millions of people felt is true. I saw a number, I think it was 78% of the Republican Party felt that. That's a big That's a big thing. And if that's the case, and by the way, large numbers of Democrats and very large numbers of independents. So if that's the case, nobody wants to have a country where they think the elections are rigged and stolen. So they should be going over and analyzing the numbers. The reason they don't do it is they can't win. Because we have, if you look at 2,000 mules, if you look at the ballot stuffing, all of these different things that we have, many, many different things that we have. You look at all of the affidavits by the thousands. You take a look at it. You can't lose that. The one thing they don't want to talk about when they talk about silencing, the one thing they don't want to talk about are the election results because they can't win. The judges were afraid of it. Everybody's afraid of it. Your network's afraid of it. Mm. Fox is afraid of it. (laughs) They don't want to talk about the election results. And that's the thing they should be talking about because our... Hey, welcome to the big leagues, (laughs) Rob (laughs) Finnerty. So, yeah, he he dropped it all there. even laid it out so nicely. You know, people like Carrie Lake go and they they say some of the same stuff on on some of the cable news, you know, outlets that still let her go on there. And she takes them to task, but... uh, They've all learned really well from father. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things when you just look at the absolute numbers and don't talk about any specific facet of what type of election fraud you best identify with. The, the poll numbers don't lie. It's nearly 77% of the Republican Party. It's in the high 50s for independents. And somewhere between like 33 and 45% of Democrats all feel, and when we're talking about election fraud, the, the narrative is that some form of election fraud contributed to the overall outcome of the 2020 presidential election. So that's when you can get into like the multi-levered questions where we're talking about like, well, what kind of election fraud was it like ballot harvesting? Was it electronic? Was it the four States that shut down in the middle of the night where Donald Trump had like in Pennsylvania, 860,000 more votes than Joe Biden and still fucking lost. You know, right. it, it, it's like mathematically impossible. Some of the stuff that happened, but, uh, I hope he does keep, you know, taking these networks to task and, you know, he's going to tell like these lower level reporters and journalists who are on their way up. Hey, listen, if you want Papa T, you better have a fucking seatbelt on that chair when you, when, when you come up to Bedminster because he's going to knock your socks off and he's going to call out your fucking executive producer. Oh, I thought but- you were said he's going to lunge at you and choke you. <laughs> grab the steering wheel he's gonna go after the the owner of the company of newsmax you know chris ruddy he called him out by name and said you know i hope he airs this portion of it it'd be a shame if he didn't people want to hear it people want to know about this stuff and you just see him sitting there like he went into the full he's like well now i can't the not da- put it on the yeah, damn ball exactly. sweat and and but you know we, we are going to end on some higher notes one of the things that i think everybody is talking about right now we've talked about it extensively on the show for a long time is the whole trump desantis narrative ticket uh it's probably the worst idea of them all obviously it's the most sexy one and we would all love to see those two absolute chads go out and just crush it on the campaign trail they would do amazingly well and play awesomely off each other yeah, what would happen to florida though Th- that's the thing 
people need to remember, and we say it all the time, Ron DeSantis won a less than 2% race from a dick-smoking crackhead. Literally. Like, the guy's been indicted 21 felonies for all the shit that he did on the campaign. Now, Ron DeSantis has blossomed since he became the governor of Florida, but he needs to go out and, like, slam dunk a double-digit win for the governorship there. And on the right track, he's gotten Florida back on. Continue that so that two years, two and a half years into his next governorship, he can announce that he's going to run for president and then hopefully win eight years in the White House after Donald Trump wins in 2024. Yeah. But... Putting them on the same ticket, having them run against each other is, is just bad news for the overallness of yeah, it. It's just kind of blowing your wad at that point. Yeah, we'd, 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 Pennsylvania would quickly become, or I'm sorry, Florida would quickly become the next Pennsylvania. And we'd have to worry about it every election cycle that, you know, we've let the Democrats get back in power. And now every time we go to the, to the ballot box, it's not going to be a bellwether. It's not going to be a must win for Republican. It's always going to be purple. Um, and we already have that kind of a headache going on in Georgia right now. So to have Pennsylvania already exist, have the potential for Georgia to go to Stacey Abrams, and then have Ron DeSantis vacate his governor spot and jump on the ticket with Donald Trump or run against him, I think it's just totally bad news. A lot of people want to see it, but we're, we're in the vernacular of that, you know, it's not the right time for it. We need to stop being, like, selfish and, and think about, like, what's really important for this country. Donald Trump has an end date on him, and a lot of those other people who we've, you know, aforementioned in the three years that we've done the show currently do not. Yeah, he's not going to be choking out Secret Service agents forever. No, and, and, and you know... We're going to hear that clip right now, and uh, let's hear... Listen, it's not a sparkling endorsement, so check it out. Could you envision a world, sir, uh, where there is a Trump-DeSantis ticket in 2024? Well, I get along with him. I was very responsible for his success because I endorsed him, and he went up like a rocket ship, just yes. like I endorsed Mary Miller the other day, who supposedly was not going to win and she won, she won. just like uh, Darren Bailey is doing great. He just won. Yep. I think he's going to beat Pritzker, one of the worst governors of the country. The Democrats apparently wanted that race. Several of these they, races. they say that they're yeah. missing something. No, they right? like to say that they always like to say that they take somebody that's doing well and they say he's the one we want. He's it's called disinformation, just like Russia, Russia, Russia. It's disinformation. Right. They said it about Mastriano, who's great. Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. They said, oh, it was obvious. I endorsed him. It was obvious he was going to win. Mm -hmm. And they said it about him in Pennsylvania. Oh, we want him. They don't want him. It's just the opposite. But they say we want him or we want Bailey. And that's not the way it works. But I think we're going to have some tremendous candidates and some very successful candidates. Just final question. Would you? So not really a sparkling endorsement. I mean, literally, he said I made him successful and then never touched on anything. He talked more about. Doug Mastriano being a potentially more successful governor than he did of anything that Ron DeSantis has done throughout the course of his first, uh, you know, um, governorship in the, in the state of Florida. I think uh, right now he wants to stay away from it. Uh, answer that. What do you th you think? I mean, did did you hear like uh, you know airing hearts and, and and sparkles in his eyes when when he asked him that question? No, and I, I mean, for, I think for good reason. I mean, I mean, there could be more to it, but I just don't. I know. A lot of people are talking about, you know, a possible Trump, Trump DeSantis ticket. But I like I've said before, DeSantis needs to stay in Florida. And I think Trump knows that. And that's where he's good for right now. I, I just don't see DeSantis being a VP candidate, to be fair at all. And I don't think it's like the right move in no. general. No, and there is a process to to pass to the presidency, and and, and I think where Ron DeSantis is right now, it, it, that road doesn't lead through a vice presidentship. 
Yeah, um, not right now, at least. I think some more time needs to pass, and I think Trump needs someone else, and that someone else, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. And, it's well, not Pence. <laughs> as the interview got ready to wrap, and in our last audio clip of what's been a big week for the show, uh, Rob Fernerty talked to him about, you know, the toll and the possible support um, that Donald Trump would uh, have on behalf of his family, if he decided to make an announcement to run for the presidency in 2024. Let's hear it. Are Melania and Barron on board with a possible run again in two and a half years? Well, they love our country and they hate to see what's happening. So at the right time, I'll be saying what I want to do. But they do. They love our country, both. Barron's a young man. Yep. And Melania is Seven a feet tall. first lady who is really loved. Yes. I Absolute will say unit. She, I see the signs. We love our first lady. Mm-hmm. Uh but they love our country, so I think they'll do what has to be done. And, and there it is. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, I don't think Melania and Barron really factor into the equation. Donald Trump's all but said he's going to run in 2024. And as we get ready to, uh, you know, follow him on the campaign trail for the Save America rally series, wink, wink. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just keep bringing you guys the narrative that is continuing to change. He's adding a lot of great new material to the rallies and he's bringing a lot of attention to a lot of these candidates that are running. Um, we, Mary Miller, who, who did run into a couple lags during, she got the Trump bump and, uh, got over the finish line as the Republican nominee out in Illinois last week. We all know that, you know, both she and Dan Bailey did good. And, uh, Blake masters, we've seen, you know, even though there's been a huge uptick in the negative campaign ads, uh, he's surging in the polls right now. And uh, it looks like at the end of the day, he's probably going to be the Republican nominee as well. So we're just going to have to keep an eye on it. And, and, you know, after the long weekend, we'll uh, probably have a fresh slew of stories to bring in. Absolute great way to end the week on Steak for Breakfast. Sat down with a couple of our longtime friends and uh, had some great news segments. And and our guest lineup today was absolutely top tier. Um, If you'd like to hear... The other 147 episodes of the show, in addition to this one, you can follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast on every downloadable podcasting platform. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, and now also on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds, of course, go to all our amazing guests today. Mike Crispy, who took some time out of his schedule to come down and uh, guest host, brought the fire with us, and a little bit of a roundtable as well. Um, Nick Adams, Jorge Ventura, and... Fish Burra. How can we forget him? Seems like we've uh, been recording for hours. Um, in addition to him, some of our internet friends. Oh, scissor me timbers! Finally. Cagbro88, The Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Hugh White Memes, Christina Bob Save America, and Tom Papper, the editor-in-chief of Valiant News Live. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some cash at our sponsors. They're all going to be having sales over this holiday weekend, so check them out. Uh, Mike Lindell, Apparatus, Hot Dogs on the Barbecue, Giza Dream Everything. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. Steak is the promo code you have at checkout, and you can talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658- 8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things in studio recording related can be found at Odyssey. Get those ears taken care of and done upright. You can find them at odyssey.com, Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. 
If you uh, would like a picture of Donald Trump saying that Newsmax and Chris Ruddy should air this part where he's talking about 2,000 mules and uh, the reporter squirming in his chair, they'll throw it on a concealed carry Kydex holster for you and get orders out faster than ever before. Stay Ready Gear holsters are amazing. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook as well. Man rubs. I made a pork butt yesterday. Slap it. We didn't get to eat it for dinner because I bought one like twice the size because we were going to share it with our in-laws. And I used like the same five-hour slow cooker method and it was only about halfway done. So we're going to have it tonight. But I did, in fact, bring my kids over to the kitchen, have them seize the man rubs for the cabinet. They both shook it and sprinkled it. Then I slapped it, rubbed it, picked it up off the counter, put it over my own butt to show them where the pork butt goes on the pig. (laughs) Rubbed it all in, (laughs) throw it in the slow cooker. I took it out this morning, pulled it apart, and tonight... I can assure you that I will throw it in my mouth and say num num num. Oh. Perfect. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty easy equation for all your gun related needs. Firearms, parts, accessory, and ammo. New the redesigned, easy to use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. Um, they've got some great gear down at the website. They've also got a pretty fire IG. Mediocremedic.com is the website. They're on Instagram, aforementioned. And last but certainly not least, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Don't know? Head on over to dumpbox.us and ask Mark Joe Friday. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook. Upcoming shows, we're going to be back on Tuesday. We're going to have uh, everybody's favorite everything. Eric Knight will be joining us, and we'll be doing the news with uh, Geisha Montez. Nice. Not bad. Um, in addition to that, we're going to finish the week next week on a very strong note on the 8th of July. Texas 15, Trump endorsed America first, part of the big three down there. Monica De La Cruz will be joining us. Senate, or I'm sorry, gubernatorial nominee in the great state of Pennsylvania. Doug Mastriano is confirmed. Sandy Smith, America first candidate, who is the nominee in North Carolina one will be joining us. And we'll have a conversation with one of our favorite shit talkers, Alex Brusowitz. The following week on the 12th, we'll kick it off bringing in the Republican nominee in Georgia 10, one of our favorite non-Vernon Jones winners, Mike Collins, will be back. Uh, the following Friday, we'll have former Trump administration official Garrett Ziegler. We're going to sit down with Save America's very own Miss Christina Bob, and we're going to be circling back for the last time before the primary with one of our favorite senatorial candidates, none other than Stone Cold Killer Eric Greitens. Nice. Like it. Boris Epstein will be here on the 19th of July. And on the 26th, I got half of the round table already secured. We're going for the other half. I'm waiting for an email back. Cash Patel will be back. Nice. As he always is every month on Steak for Breakfast because he loves this show. And we're going to see if we can sit him down with Ambassador Big Dick Rick Grinnell. Nice. Yeah, so it'll be a good one. In addition to that, I'm trying to finalize the plans right now. Adam Lexalt's going to be circling back. Liz Harrington's going to be circling back in the month of July. And we're going to talk to uh, Mary Miller and J.D. Vance. I've got uh, both of their schedulers, and we're trying to work it out so they could all come on the show. Um, in addition to that, we got Friends of the Week. There was a bunch of them. Cube White Memes is always going to be first. Mostly Peaceful Memes had some absolute fire with the uh, end of Pride Month. The Real Meme DeLorean. The Kid <laughs> Mowing Trump's Lawn will always be my favorite template, it's and I will always so share that every single time. Midnight Mitch... We got John Backman had some pretty fire ones he was sharing this morning. Mike Lindell was shit posting on Instagram. We got Not Far Out, Stilettos and Shotguns. 
I gotta, I gotta find one more good. Silent Majority and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, things to remember over the 4th of July weekend. Number one, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Super easy. No, what do you think today? I should have taken a nap. I told you this morning. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. No other weekend is better to start talking about it. Fourth of July weekend is a great place to start. We don't talk about American greatness enough. It's time to start talking about it again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 148 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back on Tuesday with Erica Knight, Geisha Montez, and whoever else I can convince to come down hungover off the 4th of July weekend. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Hi. Not muted for once. Have a great weekend. Happy birthday, America. And take care. It's me taking no for an answer, you know? It's them, it's them selling me, not the other way around. It's, it's me being a hypocrite is what it is. So. You know what? I'm not fucking leaving! The show goes on! This is my home! They're gonna need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here! They're gonna need to send in the National Guard a fucking SWAT team! Cause I ain't going nowhere! Oh.